0: To preface this, I should mention that all of this took place back home on my reservation. I'm Algonquin, First Nation from Canada. Another thing I should mention is that, on the reservation, traditional beliefs and legends of the paranormal are still a big part of our community. The attitude of most people towards the paranormal is one of assurance. To us, the paranormal is a regular part of life. We believe in a spirit world, and we believe that sometimes these beings, can cross over into our world and maybe even live among us. When I tell paranormal stories to my non-native friends, they're always in such disbelief that things like this have actually happened and how casually I talk about it, but it's only because it's been so normalized for me. Where they have absolutely no paranormal experiences, I have a bunch and most everyone I know on the res has even more than I do. I don't really care to explain it, Maybe we're all crazy from drinking our toxic tap water. Anyways, here's the story. This all happened in the fall of 2011 when I was 16 years old. I was living in a nearby city with my mom so that I could get a better education than the one I could get back home. But we'd go back every single weekend to see my dad and little brother. One Friday, during the drive back home, I got a text from a friend of mine. She told me about a party that was happening that night and asked me when I'd be home so that they could come pick me up. I gave her a time and that was that. We get home and as soon as we stepped inside the house, we see my dad and my cousin sitting at the kitchen table drinking some beers. They're both cops on the res so usually beers with his partner on a Friday evening means that they had a particularly tough week at work. Typically, the toughest cases they have to deal with are the ones that deal with child abuse So, a part of me felt sad immediately that something bad had happened. They both looked tired and drained, but they're happy to see us. We say our greetings, catch up a little, and my dad asks me if I have any plans. I tell him about the party and where it'll be, and he and our cousin share a weird look. Why are you guys making that face? Did something happen? I asked. I don't know. Should we tell her? My cousin said, looking at my dad. He laughed and they decided that I should probably know what's been going on since I'd be going to a cottage pretty deep in the woods later that evening. They start with the first strange call that they got on Monday night. An older woman called saying that people were outside of her house knocking on all of her windows. She said she couldn't see anybody but there must have been at least three people judging by all the different locations of the knocking. They arrive at the woman's home, expected all around the house, even check the woods but nothing came up. They tell that it's probably just some teenagers playing tricks on her and that there isn't much else that they can do besides patrol around the area in case they come back. On Wednesday night, the same woman called again with the same problem. It had rained that day and there was mud all around this woman's home so they figured at the very least they'd find footprints but they couldn't find a thing. This is when they started feeling like something was off because one of the windows where the woman was adamant about there being knocking was completely impossible to get to without stepping through this huge mud puddle. This is when they started to think that the woman was lying, but they just told her the same thing they told her a few nights prior. By Thursday night, everyone on the reservation had been talking about these strange experiences. It turns out this woman wasn't the only one experiencing the knocking. She was just the only one to call the police. I mean... All of this was taking place on a res, so it wasn't long before people were linking it to supernatural causes. My dad was still sure it was just a group of teens pranking people, but then they got another call from the same woman for the same reason. They rushed over and were met with the same situation, except this time, the neighbor walked over looking pale as a ghost. He says, Is this about the knocking? They notice he's a little shaky. Yeah. Did you see something? They asked. The man nodded and said, You guys are going to think I'm crazy, but yeah. And he goes on to explain what he saw. He said that he stepped outside for a cigarette on his front porch when he heard knocking. He looked around to see where it was coming from and when he looked to his neighbor's house, he saw it. There was a black figure standing outside the woman's window, the same one with the mud puddle I mentioned looking into her home. He said it looked humanoid in stature, but completely made out of shadow. You could tell it was something solidish, but you couldn't make out any features on it. He stared at it, completely in shock, and watched the thing as it knocked a couple of times and then darted around the house, knocking on every single window. He said it moved too fast to be human. It was practically a blur. It went around the house a few times, then ran across the road into the tree line, behind one tree in particular. The man was frozen, but he couldn't look away. It then leaned out from behind the tree, staring directly at him with yellow eyes that reflected the light similar to a cat's. Then it smiled, showing its small but numerous pointed and sharp teeth. I almost crapped my pants. He had attempted to joke, but his voice was still shaky. Fast forward to Friday, Stories are being exchanged all over the reservation about other sightings and experiences people were having. On top of multiple people experiencing the knocking, there was also quite a few sightings with everyone describing the creature in the same way. One woman was bringing her trash bin to the road when she thought that she had saw in her peripheral vision something standing near the trees. She walked back up the driveway and into her home, feeling like she was being watched. Right before she was about to open her door to go back inside her home, She looked back and saw two reflective yellow eyes watching her from the trees. She said it was about five feet above the ground. Another couple was driving at night and they saw a humanoid figure standing in the middle of the road. As they got closer, they slowed down and it turned around to face them. That's when they saw the reflective yellow eyes and the sharp pointed teeth as it smiled at them. They stopped the car, too afraid to go closer to it, until they decided to just drive past it. Being on a narrow road, they drove past it with the figure being only a few feet from the window, staring at them the whole time. You sure you still want to go to that party? My dad asked. but my friends were already pulling into the driveway. I gave my family hugs and kisses goodbye and they told me to be careful, but I felt fine. A common belief among native people is that negative energy attracts negative energy. Therefore, an evil spirit will be drawn to people with unresolved issues, traumas, and sinners, I suppose. If you're someone who is spiritual, self-aware, and basically a good person, that in and of itself will be protective. I get to the party, and within 20 minutes, the conversation shifts towards all the paranormal experiences people have been having. I'm really curious about what everyone has to say, because they have stories that I hadn't heard yet, but my friend... Us being 16 and all, couldn't hold her alcohol very well and was crying about how she wishes she was closer with her brother. I was trying to make her feel better while listening to everyone's stories. One of the people at the party was related to the neighbor of the woman who was calling the police. The experience really shook him up and my friend was just explaining everything that he was doing later on. For one, he smudged his entire home, which is something our people do when we're looking for extra protection against paranormal entities. He also went to visit multiple elders around the community asking for advice and any information they had on similar happenings. What we do know about paranormal experiences on the res is that they don't happen as often as they used to. If you talk to one of our elders, they have endless stories and even more advice to give about how to protect yourself compared to now. One of the explanations that was given to this guy about the shadow thing was that it was evidence that someone was doing an unauthorized shaking tent ceremony. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up, but it's basically, and I'm generalizing, like a Ouija board session that takes place inside a tent of some sort. People stand around the tent while the shaman type dude goes inside and asks questions. The tent begins to shake and you can hear the voices of spirits coming through. I've never personally been to one, because we haven't had a good enough reason to make one, but but typically our ancestors used shaking tent ceremonies when they were starving in the dead of winter and needed some direction on where the nearest food source was. My mom's been to one, and her story is absolutely crazy. She described multiple voices of men and women, only speaking the native tongue, and they were upset that the people were doing a shaking tent ceremony when they weren't on the verge of death. The people there had to explain that they were only doing the ceremony to prove that it was real, as we had been losing our culture as a result of residential schools, but the spirits were angry about this, saying that the bridge between the two worlds should never be open unless absolutely necessary, because you don't know who you're communicating with. It could be evil spirits, and it could be good ones, it could be ancestors, but you never know. The elders told him that this spirit crossed over into our world because of a shaking tent ceremony. Someone on that reserve had been doing them without consultation of the elders. So we started thinking about who would do that without proper guidance and without good enough reason to do so. Then two of the drunkest dudes at this point started saying stuff like, Ah, I'm not scared. That thing could show up now and it couldn't do anything. Basically egging it on. All of us were looking at each other like, why would you disrespect an evil spirit? That's exactly how you attract it to you. And that's when I decided to leave the sunroom where everyone was hanging. I went to the living room to console my drunk crying friend when I noticed that the rocking chair outside on the porch was going back and forth. I looked immediately, refusing to make direct eye contact, but I did look at it from my peripheral vision. I'm inside the cottage and I keep seeing this rocking chair going back and forth and back and forth, but another thing we're raised to do in our culture is to ignore paranormal experiences. Spirits feed on the energy that people put towards them, so if you freak out, if you get angry, if you yell at it or start crying, that's exactly what it wants and it will stick around once it gets a reaction. It thrives on energy of any kind, so while I knew something messed up was happening on the rocking chair. I wasn't about to pay it any attention. Five minutes or so goes by and I'm still seeing it move in the corner of my eye. That's when my friend screams and she runs to the other side of the sunroom. My other friend sprints to where the girl was sitting and busts through the French doors onto the balcony. All of this happens in a split second but I immediately go to the patio and ask what's going on. The girl is crying on the couch with friends all around her. She claims that she had seen the spirit, which we later nicknamed Kokogi, Algonquin word for monster. She said she was listening to the boys talk about the spirit when she saw the boy's face as he was looking out onto the balcony behind her. She turned around to see what he was looking at, and directly on the other side of the window was the shadow spirit sitting on the rocking chair, smiling at her, literally 3 feet from her. That's when the boy sprints towards it and busts through the French doors. I walk outside to find the boy and he's on the lawn, staring into the woods. I call his name and he looks up at me. All he says is, Get everyone inside. And the tone of his voice just makes me automatically obey. I get all the drunk teenagers inside the cottage. This is when the phrase, Come at me bro, was just gaining popularity so you could imagine the drunk kids yelling that into the woods. It was terrible. I eventually get everyone inside and the girl is now in a trance, freaking everyone out. She doesn't speak to anyone, she doesn't say anything, but I want to go home. The boy comes back inside and tells everyone to clean up and that we should leave as soon as possible. Everyone has trash bags and are cleaning away all the beer bottles and cans away. Everyone goes inside the cottage and it's only me and the boy in the sunroom. I look to him for answers and all he says is, it's outside." I nod and start cleaning faster. The sooner we're out of here, the sooner we're away from that thing. As we're cleaning in the sunroom, we hear knocking on the windows in multiple places. The entire sunroom is made of glass, but it's dark out, so you can't even see outside. I immediately look to the boy and he just says, ignore it. Within two seconds, someone comes running out of the bathroom and says, I'll kill whoever's outside knocking on the bathroom window but everyone's inside and accounted for. Someone else comes running out of the bedroom saying that there was knocking on the window in there as well. Now everyone's freaking out, and me, the boy, and our one other friend are the only sober ones to calm everyone down. We get the place clean and get outside to the cars immediately. Everyone's getting into the trucks, and I'm standing with that boy. He's relaxed, but then all of a sudden looks behind me and shows me inside his truck, We peel out of the driveway and drop everyone off. A few days later, I end up hanging out with the boy and he tells me the story from his perspective. He says that when the boy started talking crap about the spirit, it appeared on the rocking chair behind the girl. He said he made eye contact with it and couldn't look away. They were staring each other down and that's when the girl saw the boy's expression. He says it was instinct to defend the people he was with and ran towards it. He said that the feeling he was getting from the kokogi was almost like he was daring him to do something. He said the second he got up the kokogi stood and ran into the woods disappearing from the patio in a blur. The boy ran off the porch and was looking around the lawn when he saw it standing at the tree line looking right at him with that smile on its face. He said the whole time it felt like it was mocking him. I called the boy's name and disappeared. He didn't see it again until everyone was getting into the trucks, which explains why he suddenly pushed me inside. He said that it was standing on the far end of the truck, super close to us. Later that night, when he dropped everyone off, they realized that they never locked the door, so he went back to the cottage, but his friend, whose cottage it was, was too scared to go in. The boy goes in by himself, but the second he opens the door, he sees the thing standing inside the living room. He locks the door as quick as he can and then peeled out of the driveway. Sightings continued for a few days after that. We definitely weren't the only people on the reservation to have experiences like this and then it stopped all of a sudden. It was the talk of the reservation everyone was curious about what happened to it. Would it come back? What was it? But word ended up getting around that there were sightings north of our community. White people in the town just north of us were having sightings... Then other reservations were having sightings as well. It was like it was traveling north, the way the stories were going. So, it's 2018 now and no one else on my reservation has had any sighting of this particular spirit. Hopefully, it stays that way. This story happened about a year and a half ago. I have only ever shared this story with one other person, the person who is actually in this story. First, a little about me. I have a formal education in the hard sciences, and I am halfway through a doctor of medicine degree program, so those are the lenses through which I see the world. This makes me a natural skeptic on most things. I firmly believe in the existence of extraterrestrial life because the vastness of the universe makes it a mathematical certainty, but I am far less convinced on the subjects of UFOs, although there are a number of well-documented events that keep me from dismissing them outright. This story has nothing to do with aliens though, at least I don't think it does. I guess I only mention it for the purpose of demonstrating that I keep an open mind on things but that I still need to see at least some sort of suggestive evidence. I'm a huge fan of the paranormal as a genre, I find the stories and media fun and entertaining. I like being scared and I enjoy the experiences of reflecting on what if, but it's always just been that to me, a genre of entertainment. Then, this happened, and I still can't explain it. My fiancé and I grew up in a small city in New England. Honestly, it's really only a city by definition. It's bigger than your average New England town, but it's far more suburban than your average city. The house my family has lived in since I was two is located on the outskirts of this city. I am now almost 30, and although my fiancé and I live in an apartment below her mom's place, I still keep a lot of my stuff there at my old house, including my motorcycle. When you pull out of the driveway and go one way, it takes about 10 to 15 minutes to get into the city proper, but if you go the other way, it takes about two minutes to hit farmland. Heading towards the farms, you end up on a road called Pine Hill Road. On this road is a very old cemetery with gravestones that date as far back as the 1700s. The cemetery encompasses a square plot of land bordered on three sides by trees and by Pine Hill Road on the 4th. The official name of this cemetery is Pine Hill Cemetery, but everybody in the area calls it by its other name, Blood Cemetery. It is allegedly one of the most haunted cemeteries in New England. The name derives from the blood family burial plot located more or less in the center of the grounds, and is where most of the alleged activity arises from. Tangibly, the blood headstone is engraved with the image of a hand, and it is said that during the day this hand points upwards towards the heavens, while at night it points down towards the ground. It is also said that the ghost of Abel Blood roams the grounds. It is illegal to enter a cemetery at night here and the police do patrol this area because of how frequent people try to go in at night to see for themselves. I personally have never actually been inside the grounds, day or night, not even during the experience I'm about to describe. By the way, I have used the real name of the place. Feel free to google this cemetery all you want, that way you know I'm talking about a real place with real stories attached to it. What I'm about to describe is no creepy pasta. This really happened to me. I had driven past this cemetery a million times before, day and night, and not once have I ever seen or experienced anything out of the ordinary. That is, not until one night last fall. It must have been around late August or early September 2017, when summer was on its way out and fall was just starting to let everyone know it was on its way. It was late and dark one night when my fiance and I were out for a ride on my motorcycle. We love riding around this area because there is a little traffic, the roads are just windy enough to make it fun, and the farms are beautiful. We were riding up Pine Hill Road and were just beginning to pass blood on the left as we've done so many times before. Going about 30 miles per hour, it must only take 3-5 to seconds to pass the whole property, but this time something very strange happened to me time appeared to slow down when something red reflected across the visor of my helmet. I turned my head to the left and this is what I saw. Up in a tree just along the left border of the cemetery, there was a floating orb of the brightest red I've ever seen, so bright that its center was white. Orb isn't really the right way to describe it though because it wasn't just a sphere of red light, it looked like it was oozing and dripping like it was made of plasma. The best way I can describe it is that it looked like the tip of a signal flare when it's held off the ground. It was that bright, and it was oozing like the tip of a flare, but it was not shooting out from anywhere like a flare does. Where a flare has a sort of elongated shape from the spark shooting out of the end, this was circular. And unlike a flare, there was no visible physical object from which this drippy burning orb emanated from. It just was. It was bright, and it was oozing, and it was dripping, and it was floating up in a tree. I really can't underscore enough just how bright this thing was, to me. Then I noticed the rest. Moving around this red orb was a set of hands. I didn't notice them at first because of how bright the orb was and how dark the world was, but as my eyes began to focus somewhat, I realized that there was something else in the tree with the orb and it looked like it was actually conjuring the orb. The thing was humanoid-looking, but it didn't look human at all. It looked like a scrawny and lanky ET, phone home, sort of thing with nubby joints, fingers and features, but with scrawny limbs. Its face was long, narrow at the top and bottom, but wide in the middle. It was bumpy. It was a face unlike any human face I've ever seen before, and I've seen a lot of deformed faces. Lepromatous faces, hypoplastic faces, coarse faces, faces without calvaria. Hell, I've seen real Cyclopses. Yes, Cyclopses really do exist and it's actually quite a sad thing because Cyclopia results from a condition that also prevents the brain from dividing and the baby is usually stillborn. This thing's face looked like it was from hell. Its skin looked dark brown and it appeared to be wearing some sort of baggy looking cloak. Its legs were crossed, its hands circling around this extremely bright oozing red orb and it was hovering a few inches over a branch in this tree. Passing the cemetery on my motorcycle that night felt like the longest 3-5 to seconds of my life. As we came to the other end of the cemetery, time appeared to resume itself as normal. I looked back over my shoulder and it was gone. I look back again, still gone. Twice more I looked back, twice more it was nowhere to be seen. I immediately pulled over and my fiancé asked me what was wrong because she knows I never pull my bike over to the side of the road unless something is up and I have to. Especially when it's dark, and especially not on these windy roads where people tend to drive like crazy people. I can't blame them, these roads are fun. Did you see that back there? I asked her. See what? She asked. That red light we passed back at the cemetery just now. Red light? She asked, a little confused. Turns out she hadn't seen a thing. Nothing. I explained to her what I had just seen or experienced or whatever it was that happened. She believed me, noting how I looked visibly disturbed by something, but whatever that was, she hadn't seen any of it. It was dark and we were moving, so normally I wouldn't have been so surprised by her not seeing something like a figure up in a tree we'd pass, but that orb of light, it was just so bright. There were no cars around, no houses from which a porch light could have been peering through these particular trees. There were no lights in the sky, no planes or helicopters around, and no explanation as to why only I saw this. I've never been diagnosed with mental illness, I don't have a substance abuse problem, and I certainly wouldn't have myself and the mother of my future children together on a bloody motorcycle if I was inebriated. I've never had a seizure or been told that I've had a seizure, I've never had hallucinations, and I've never experienced anything like this before or anything like it again since. I've driven past blood numerous times since then too, and every time. It's just been its normal, old, sleepy self. This happened about 8 years ago now, and wow, how time just slips on by. My oldest son was almost 5 years old when I was pregnant with my second child, a girl, One morning, my alarm went off early as usual, 5am, so I could get some housework done and feed the pigs, goats, and chickens. I was done outside and went back in as I knew what time my boy typically is about to wake up. I walked to his room and he was sitting up in his bed wrapped in his quilt. He jumped up and quickly ran to me and gave me a squeeze. I laughed and said, Good morning, hon. Have you been up a long time? You should have came and got me, silly. Mama... I saw the nice man again. I immediately felt adrenaline course through me. What? What does he mean, nice man? Has someone been doing something to my boy in the window? What? I kneeled down and said, Boy, you need to tell me everything right now about this man. Now. This is not good. Please tell me the truth. Where did he go? Tell me. He wakes me up a lot. He comes to my door. What? What do you mean? What does he do? Stands and smiles for a long time. I had no words and looked distressed to him. I'm sure of it. At this point, I'm getting chills and tunnel vision almost. This is so messed up. I was trying to stay calm and not seem angry so I wouldn't make him shut down. Okay, uh, what does he look like? He's up to the ceiling almost. He has no eyes. He explained that he really had no color. Sort of grayish. Just holes where his eyes should be. Short hair, I think he said. He continued on trying to calm me down. He's a sweet, smart kid. Mama, he's nice. I like him. He tells me, don't be afraid. He's here a lot. Okay. Okay. What else does he say? Today he told me I was good and... To take care of my sister who's coming. Whoa. This is real. There were a few other things I wanted to know, but my boy was getting restless and annoyed with my questions. Like, come on, mom, it's not a big deal. Can I just go play or what? Over the next few days, I kept prying, but he wasn't having it. Just said the same things. He did say every other time was always the same. Don't be afraid. I was freaked out, but... This wasn't my first paranormal experience. I felt safe. He felt safe. We carried on and he would sometimes tell me that he showed up again with the same don't be afraid thing. Haven't thought about this in a long time. This was three homes ago. A cute old tiny blue house in the country. I did like it. It was cozy. My kid still remembers all of this. He is definitely my sensitive one and... Apparently, it doesn't faze him. The following was told me by a stripper named Cameron about eight years ago. I didn't pay her to tell me the story. When she told me this story, she gets massive goosebumps and starts to quake and shiver, so I tend to believe that the story really happened to her. Hold on to your hats. Cameron lived in an apartment complex in Portland, Oregon at the end of a long cul-de-sac where the street ends in a small circle. On the left side of the street were homes and the right side of the street was a huge vacant lot upon which once stood a barn and a home. It used to be a farm back in the days that Portland, Oregon, like most places in the U.S., were mostly farms. People lived off the land, had their own cows, chickens, pigs, potatoes, etc., Back in the day, most people were farmers and supported themselves around that area. She used to drive down this road with the vacant lot to her right, and she would drive down to the left around a sharp curve and down another one-fourth block to the circle, and next to the circle was her apartment complex. She worked as a stripper maybe five nights a week, sometimes six. She was saving up for college, paying her bills. Stripping pays more than McDonald's, apparently. One night, about 3 a.m., Cameron was driving home by the vacant lot where the old house and barn once stood. She looked in a rearview mirror and noticed a man, about 30-ish, with long unkempt brown hair and a beard, wearing overalls, like farm overalls, running behind her car about three car lengths. He looked extremely angry. She gasped and gave it some gas and she looked back and he was gone. This scared her why was some guy in overalls running after her in the middle of the street at 3 in the morning? A few nights go by, and she's driving home again about 3 a.m., and she's driving past the vacant lot, and she looks in a rearview mirror, and it's the same man running after her car. But this time he is two car lengths behind, and she screams a little scream and floors it, and she barely makes the sharp left-hand turn. She gets back, drives into the parking lot, gets out of her car and runs to her room and locks the door. She then looks out her window at the street, fearing he's trying to find her. She sees nothing. The next day, she tells an old lady what happened, and the old lady, who's lived in the apartment complex a long time, tells her that an old man used to live in the farmhouse where the vacant lot now was. The old man died and the house and barn were torn down, burned down by the fire department but... For some reason, the land was never converted to new homes or apartment buildings. She didn't know why. People in the area used it as a dog park. Local kids played there, various army games and whatnot. The old woman told her that the old man had a psycho son who had kidnapped and killed several women and buried the bodies under the barn. She didn't know for sure when that happened, But she suspected it was back in the late 1920s or early 1930s but she wasn't sure. They arrested the son and took him away to the state mental hospital and locked him away until he died. The father remained in the farmhouse alone until he died when he was quite old. The story scared Cameron who decided she had to move, so she looked for a place to move and found one. She was working at the club her last night before the move Everything was packed and she was ready to go. She dreaded the thought of having to drive by the vacant lot again. It freaked her out, but she was determined to just not look in her rearview mirror and not look behind her when she drove by. She acted as if though the vacant lot didn't exist. She worked. Finally, it was her last day living at the apartment complex. It was her day off and she's decided just to finish packing and relax. Her manager called her and asking her to come in because several girls didn't show up. She said she couldn't. He was insistent, so she finally agreed. She got off at about 2.30am and changed and drove back. She dreaded driving by the vacant lot, but was happy that this was the last night she would have to do so. Tomorrow, she was leaving for her new apartment. For the last week or so, every time she drove by the vacant lot, she looked straight ahead, and it worked. She approached her street... She thought, nope, not going to look back. She started to drive down past the vacant lot to where the old farmhouse and barn once stood. She could feel a chill go down her spine. The hairs on her arm stood up. She got the overwhelming sensation that someone was staring at her. Without thinking about it, she looked in a rearview mirror and. she saw nothing. Nothing was chasing her. She was so relieved. She looked back over her right shoulder and noticed that the young man in overalls was sitting in her back seat, on the right side back seat. He was staring at her. She screamed and floored it. She didn't make the sharp turn. She hit the curb and the car catapulted into the vacant field and kept going until it ran into some thorny hedge. With the car still on, she screamed and opened her door and ran to her apartment screaming convinced the man in overalls was chasing her. She didn't look back again to confirm that. She screamed so loud that a few people came out of their apartments. They assured her nobody was chasing her. Several of the men went to her car, looked around, and found nobody. They turned off and locked her car and gave her the keys. She didn't sleep that night, fearing the man in overalls would come to her door. He didn't, and she left at first light. I'm a big outdoorsman from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so of course when I decided to go to college I had to keep in mind that having some decent woods nearby was a must. Upon checking a couple of places out I decided on going to Edinburgh University of Pennsylvania or just the borough. The biggest plus about going to that university is that my uncle Fred lived up there and was a well-known name in the community. He owns to this day a framing shop right in the middle of the small town area. This is a huge plus since knowing people like that always equals more land to put spots on. That's all I really needed to pick the college I would be going to. Edinburgh is really cool because there are a lot of old buildings and strange flat landscapes as compared to the hilly land around Pittsburgh. So it was cool to have to figure out how to scout the game I'd be going after once the season started. My main hunting area was directly behind my uncle's house. He has a beautiful log cabin that sits back off the road with woods on all sides of it. It was a huge thing of beauty. When he had the house built, he actually had the gigantic chimney made of flat stones that were found in the woods behind the house. More on that later. As I was scouting the area for the first time, I came up on a few different circles of boulders in the middle of the woods. They were definitely very old. The boulders were quite big much too big to just be moved there for some reason like a group of guys camping out. They must have taken 10 men to move them, and only if they had some kind of pulley system or something of the sort. There were also smaller rocks, and when I say smaller, I'm talking like somewhere around 300 pounds or more, making inner circles inside of the larger boulders. Pretty crazy. I found a total of 7 of these stands throughout the property. Some of the rocks that were now part of the chimney they simply had to be with the amount of rocks he used on it. Oh, also these rock circles also made a much larger circle around the woods. After a few more days of scouting with my buddy Brandon, we were sure we had our spots picked out for the first day of archery. We couldn't wait to get out there. Perfect day too, it was great. The thing about Edinburgh, PA is that it gets more snow per year than most of Alaska due to the lake effect snow coming across Lake Erie. What happens is before the lake freezes completely over, the water, which is warmer than the air, pushes the clouds very high up into the atmosphere. Too high for them to actually snow due to the low temperature all the way up there. The clouds then come inland to fall back and toward Earth. It takes them about 20 miles to do this. Edinburgh is about 20 miles from the lake. You see what I'm saying. Anyway, on the first day of archery, which is the first week of October in Pennsylvania, There was a thin layer of snow. This is perfect for archery because you can see the deer in the woods much more easily and you can also see if any animals left any tracks. If they did, they were fresh since the snow didn't happen too long before that. In our trees for about two hours or so, neither of us had seen anything yet. I had just gotten off the radio with Brandon, whom was on the other side of the property, when I had seen some movement over to my right in the pine thicket. I then seen a branch move a little bit and seen four deer legs under. I readied my bow and my stance so as to make a good clean shot at the deer. Around 15 feet up in a tree, I did this very carefully. About a minute later, as I was looking for any movement, I lost the four legs inside the thicket. This was expected due to the fact that where the deer would have been is a common feeding area for them, so I waited. Maybe another minute later, I caught movement again. It looked as if though the deer would break through the thicket into more open woods. The moment i had been waiting for. As I brought the bow up into a full draw stance, I was stunned by what I was seeing. Where the deer should have been, there was a man. A strange looking man at that. This absolutely should not have been. There was a man anywhere near where that deer had been. The deer would have been long gone, spooked back into the thicket. I put my bow back down onto the hook I had screwed into the tree and lifted my binoculars to my eyes. At only around 35 yards away, I could now see great detail of his physical appearance. He was rather rotund, with his belly leading the way. A white long-sleeved shirt on the ruffles down the middle of it, just like the pirate shirt in that one episode of Seinfeld, if any of you so indulge. It was tucked into thick, canvas-brown pants with pants being tucked into white socks directly below his knees. Further down, where his shoes should be, was absolutely nothing. He had no feet whatsoever. No calves, no shins, no shoes. With my eyes wide open, I mouthed to myself, What? Instead of walking, he seemed to float through the woods, going from right to left. This is when I started noticing other extremely strange things about him. I looked through the binoculars at his head, It was cocked back with his chin resting down on his lower neck, his very large red bulbous nose up in the air a bit in a sort of snobby overall look. The hair though, the hair, it was covered by a wig that judges in England wear, a white wig with three curls on the side of it where his ears would have been. I noticed that he didn't just seem to float through the woods, he was floating through the woods. His arms stayed stuck at his sides, moving as he traveled. He also never looked down. The way his head was cocked, he could have only been looking upward. This is not how any person or animal walks in the woods, constantly looking down and around for obstacles that he may trip over. All of this happened within a time period of maybe 20 seconds or so. He came out of the thicket behind a medium-sized oak tree, and when he hit the next oak, he never came out from behind it. I watched in absolute astonishment for another 5 minutes waiting for him to break his cover so I could see him again. This never happened. I told Brandon what had just happened and was immediately made fun of. I expected that was what would be coming through the radio after I got done talking. He was saying I should have taken a picture of the only deer human minotaur remaining in the world. I told him he won't be laughing when the deer tar came over to his tree stand and smacked him right out of it. Even though it was the middle of the hunt, I had to get down to see what had just happened. I knew where he would have walked not only would I see footprints in the snow, but it would have also been very easy to see even better tracks due to the fact that the area where he was was full of muddy ground. A freaking hummingbird would have left tracks in this muddy mess. As you probably guessed, when I got over to the spot where he had been, I had seen not one track from him, or a deer, or anything else that lives on planet Earth. I was utterly amazed. What happened later that night was just as creepy, but due to this post being super long, I'll save that for my next post. The scary stuff didn't even begin yet at this point on that fateful night. Part 2 After I got done checking out the muddy, snowy ground where the man should have left some kind of sign of footprints, I went back to my tree stand and climbed back up to the height that I'd been hunting from earlier. I radioed Brandon and told him I was back up in the tree and secure. We always did this as a precaution in case something happened while we were climbing the tree or securing the platforms of the portable tree stand. My old man's buddy Bunky actually saved his left eye from being completely blind and useless. He was practicing shooting from a raised platform when he slipped and fell, driving a stick right through his eyeball as he hit the ground. This has nothing to do with the story, but all you hunters out there should adopt this practice. You know, the more you know and all that stuff. I digress. We hunted the rest of the day, but not without periodic ragging from Brandon making fun of me about the deer atar throughout the rest of the hunt. I knew I'd be hearing about it for at least a week or so, maybe longer. That is, of course, if the rest of the night would have been a normal one, which it turns out was not. As twilight approached, I radioed Brandon and told him I was going to start getting out of the tree. Brandon was actually in a built stand that we found while scouting in the months prior. So I had him meet me at my spot due to the fact that it was going to take me much longer to get to my stand down and off the tree. Just as I thought, Brandon was walking up to my spot right as I was getting to the bottom of the tree. Once he got all the way to the bottom, I unhooked the straps that were around my feet jumped down to the ground and started feverishly explaining to him again everything that happened. I took him over to the muddy area to show him that there was absolutely no tracks in the snow or the mud. I definitely could sense that he didn't completely believe everything I was telling him. I was able to sense this so easily because he looked right at me with his mouth agape and his eyebrows pushing up towards the middle of his forehead and said, Are you messing with me brother? He also was able to tell that I wasn't messing with him when I looked at him with what I'm sure are some of the craziest eyes he'd ever seen and said, I ain't messing with you, man. When he realized that I was 100% serious, he started taking inventory of all of the things that I had previously told him and we went back and forth trying to make any kind of sense of what I had seen at all. While we were talking to each other back and forth, we had failed to notice that nighttime was already upon us. It was that Stephen King old dark, no stars kind of nights too. Due to the fact that we were looking for signs left behind from the ghost guy, we were in a patch of woods that we weren't very familiar with. We may have been pretty close to where my stand was, but once night falls in the woods, it's a whole new ball game. Still, the patch of woods we were in was enclosed by a triangle of roads. All we had to do was walk in a straight line and we would come out somewhere on one of the roads and just walk that road back to my uncle's house. So we started walking. Walking in a straight line in the woods is almost impossible to do without a compass, which I didn't have, so we were both figuratively and literally in the dark when it came to where we were. A couple of minutes into the walk, we heard a loud scream, as if someone was being murdered. Now, I know what every animal in the woods around here sounds like, both normally or in panic mode making death cries. I see videos often on YouTube of people recording a sound in their backyard that they think is a person who needs help, only to be a rabbit screaming from being attacked by some predator like a coyote or fox. This was not that, at all. After waiting a couple of minutes to see if the screaming would continue, we started walking again in the direction we thought we should be going. We didn't talk much about what we had just heard, probably because of the anxiety we were both feeling. We couldn't ignore it for long though because we heard another long blood-curdling scream. It was closer this time and sounded different. At first we thought it sounded like a woman being attacked. This new scream sounded threatening. Ironically we felt like we were the ones being stalked and hunted at this point and still we pushed forward. After walking about another hundred yards we came across something very strange. Directly in our path were these weird, clear, gelatinous masses on top of the leaf litter. Now, I am 32, which isn't an age that necessarily screams wisdom from experience, but I've been in the woods since as far back as I can remember. My old man taught me everything there is to know about the wilderness around us. So take it from me, these clear globs should not have been there. The only thing I could think of that could even slightly look like it was tree sap... This was absolutely not sap. I poked one of the masses with a stick, fearing what they were made of. I had read a story about a town that had clear gelatinous globs rained down on them. All of these people got very sick, and if I'm not mistaken, I think a couple of them even died from it. So needless to say, I was taking precautions. Their consistency was that of a thick gelatin, like if you made jello with only one cup of water instead of two. Once we started walking again, we started to come across a good amount of this stuff. It wasn't all over the woods. Instead, it was directly in front of us as we walked, almost like someone or something knew which route we could try to take and marked it with these globs. Another scream. This time even closer and with a little something added in. This time, not too far off, away from us, we heard leaves rustling and a couple of twigs snapped. Something was definitely there. It could have been a deer, but this was unlikely. Whatever it was wasn't spooked at all, not from us or the threatening scream. It's easy to tell when you've spooked an animal and they start running. On top of that, most of the leaves were still very moist, therefore not making as much noise as they normally would. This sent our anxiety level through the roof. At that point, the only thing that was on our mind was getting out of there. We were no longer curious about floating men, screams, or alien jelly. We just wanted out. Which should have been very soon. The distance we walked should have come across a road by now, but it hadn't. Stranger still, we couldn't even see any house or streetlights at all. Still, we just kept walking, thinking we'd find our way out very, very soon. This was not to be, at least not yet. Our flashlights were now beginning to die, so we were definitely in a hurry. Which, by the way, is not what you should do if you were ever even maybe lost in the woods. Cool heads always prevail in that situation. As we were walking, we started to see a couple of pine trees. This was very strange because we had thoroughly scouted this land. The only pine trees were over near my stand where we started. After seeing a couple more, we started to get a foreboding feeling almost like a sick, anxious, panic feeling. We stopped for a minute to check our surroundings and found that at the exact spot that we had stopped was the same spot we started. We were starting right next to a pine tree with a dead pine next to it that had a branch broken off and dangling still from the severed limb. How could this be? We had been sure that we were walking in a somewhat straight shot out and... That must have been an impossibility since we must have made a circle. We had no idea whatsoever how this had happened, especially since we were in the exact spot we started at. Also very strange, we'd seen my tree stand that was still hanging on the tree. It was very close to us, but when we started to walk out it was nowhere to be found. We walked over to it and immediately found the trail that we had to take to get out of the woods. It led directly back to my uncle's backyard. The trail actually went right past the live pine tree we had just been standing under. There is no way we had missed that in the beginning. To add more to the strangeness, as we walked only about 20 yards down the trail, we could plainly see my uncle's light that he had above his garage to illuminate his driveway. Our minds were blown, but at least we were able to get out. On the last 100 yards on the trail, we found more clear gelatin globs directly down the middle of the pass, This was definitely crazy because they absolutely were not there when we walked in. We had been on that trail when we entered the woods, we would have seen them for sure. We heard no more screams after the time we heard the rustling of leaves and the twigs break, but we had a strong feeling of being watched when we were still in the woods and an even stronger version of that same feeling as we stepped into my uncle's backyard. This is at the top of my list of scary experiences in the woods. I have no explanation for any part of it, not the floating ghost guy, not the screams or the globs, not the getting lost in the woods and not the circles of boulders. I would love to hear from anyone who had anything like this happen to them. There is to be some kind of answer, but at this point all I have is my story about what happened that night and thankfully one other person who went through it with me. At least he's been able to validate what has happened to people that don't believe this actually happened to us. Whether you guys believe it or not is up to you, but I promise that this all happened exactly how I wrote it. I know it sounds pretty crazy and out there, but it did. And that's a scary thing to think about next time you guys find yourselves in the woods. Something incredible had happened back there. I'm thankful that we were able to get out of the woods without having anything bad happen to us. What it did do was made my wanting to understand the paranormal even stronger. One day I'm going to go back there by myself and camp for a night or two in the hopes that something might happen again and that I have the wherewithal to seek whatever it was out and get some answers that I desperately need. Back in 2010 in Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada, my friend lived in a part of town that has a lot of forest area and his backyard was a good couple of acres of forest with houses surrounded in the distance. Me and him would go and explore the forest all the time because it was quite mystical and just a cool place to wander. This one night, me and my friend went outside in his backyard, a couple of acre forest at probably close to 1am, to go explore and there's a steep cliff when you first walk in. When we were standing at the cliff before the pathway leading down to the rest of the forest, I could see a tall, white, illuminated figure and it was in between two trees kind of moving around between the trees. I asked my friend if he saw it and he said yes, he could as well and then we stood silent in fear and I could feel impending doom and I had shivers going throughout my body. The best way I can describe it is the feeling you get when someone dies or you are about to die, the feeling of dread inside your chest like you are hopeless. I remember this feeling from personal experience of almost dying and from close people and pets dying in my life. We left very quick because we had no clue what it was and it scared us. I remember my friend yelling something at it and it was just silent and still slightly moving between the trees. The figure was pure white and solid, seemed to be at least 6 to 7 feet tall from where we were standing, which was about 30 to 40 feet away from us, so it could have been even bigger than it appeared to us at the distance. I am positive it was not a living creature or a human being, and it was not a trick of the mind or light. There was no light nor moon shining in the forest because it was pitch black and filled with pine trees, and there were no houses close enough to give off any light whatsoever or give off a shine. It had no physical features at all except for very long arms. It kind of looked how an ape would have with its arms, but they were incredibly long. It was pitch black in the forest, but the whole figure was sort of blurry, giving off a white light, like if you were looking at something out of focus. It wasn't illuminated to the point where it was giving off a bright light, It was more like a really condensed figure of white smoke, but you could see it in the pitch black. It didn't have much movement at all, and there was no sound at all. It seemed like it was kind of just pacing right to left or doing something weird between the trees. It was kind of odd because the figure didn't catch my attention right away. My eyes just kind of adjusted to the dark when I noticed the figure and focused in on it in the distance, and I couldn't believe and wasn't sure what I was looking at. I also find it strange that I didn't even have to point out to my friend where the figure was. He automatically saw it at the same time that I saw it, like it wanted to be seen. It could have quite possibly have been a warning, and that is why me and my friend left right away without hesitation. It is now eight years later, and the experience still scares me. He has no neighbors that are close to location because, as I said, his forest is a couple of acres, there is no way it could have been a neighbor in the forest. To this day, the feeling I got when I saw that still gives me shivers, something so powerful that it emits a powerful vibe of fear and death. The fact that we went out to his forest at that time really late at night and happened to see that freaks me out as well, because it clearly meant to be seen by us. If we went out any later or any sooner, we might not have seen whatever it was that manifested in his forest, at that moment in time. I am not sure of the history of Matsqui Island, but it directly lines up with this location. I think there is possibly a ley line underneath this location connecting to Matsqui. If there were Native American burial grounds there and a ley line connecting both locations, then that would explain the paranormal activity. There is also a small flowing river and streams close by in the forest where we saw the entity. I find this very interesting because I heard water acts as a conductor for paranormal activity. This took place in early summer, Quinnell, British Columbia, Canada. I need help identifying a creature that me and a friend of mine have seen multiple times. It was at least 7 feet tall with skin pale as snow. It also had a gaping mouth, no genitals to identify gender, and no eyes. The eyes seemed to be covered by a layer of skin. I have seen it running inhumanly fast through the field behind my house and easily jumping a a 5.5 foot fence and disappearing into the woods. My friend saw it while she was working and gave me the details about what she had seen. She had thought that she saw a person standing 5 feet away in the woods out of the corner of her eye and... When she looked directly at it, it quickly turned around and sprinted deep into the woods. I have never told her what I'd seen until today and the details she gave matched up with what I saw. If anyone has any information on what this could be, please let me know and thank you for reading. Part 2. About a month ago I posted to this subreddit to ask for information on a creature that I had seen on my property and said that I would update and I've seen it two times since I last updated. The next time I saw it, it was nighttime and the creature was running through the field on my property and it then jumped the fence into my neighbor's yard and disappeared into the darkness. Two weeks went by and nothing happened regarding the creature until one night I was laying in bed trying to go to sleep and then I heard footsteps walking around outside my window. I thought that maybe one of my dogs were outside so I went to go let him in, but when I opened the door and yelled both of the dogs' names, no dogs came back. I called them three more times, and then I heard the footsteps walking up to my left. When I looked over, I noticed something. There was a face peeking around the wall of the house and looking at me. I froze up and stared back at it, and noticed that it either had pitch black eyes, or no eyes at all. There was no nose, just skin pale as snow. I started to back up into the house when the thing slowly moved its head back around the corner, and I could no longer see it. I spent the rest of the night checking doors and windows making sure they were locked and covered. I lotted down in bed and tried not to fall asleep, but I ended up falling asleep anyways. When I woke up it was about 9am. I had instantly remembered what had happened last night and shot up out of bed and to the back door to go outside and without hesitation I opened the door and stepped outside. I walked towards the side of the house where I saw it and noticed that there were scratches on the wall and grass had been ripped out of the ground and thrown at the wall about a foot away from the scratches, and I have not seen it again since that happened. I'm going to buy a trail cam like many of you suggested, and I will try to get it on camera. I'll update again as soon as possible. Part 3 So about a month ago I uploaded my second update about the creature I had been seeing and since then I have seen it on multiple occasions. The creature doesn't seem to care if it is day or night that it hunts or wanders, and it seems to be quite intelligent. About a week after my last post, I was sitting outside on my back porch facing the field when I saw it again. It was running through my field as it had done many times before, but this time it stopped in the middle near a row of about three or four trees, and it quickly moved its whole body to face me. I was then filled with an extremely strong sense of dread, and I could hear a voice at the back of my mind saying, get back inside, over and over again, but I couldn't move. The creature then started running towards me, and I still couldn't move, but then it quickly turned around a full 180 degrees and ran toward the forest. After it had effortlessly jumped the back fence, I could move again, and I ran inside so fast that I hardly even noticed that I did. The next time, I was sitting in the living room watching TV when I heard a loud pounding coming from the roof of the bathroom. I instantly froze up and felt the same feeling of dread I had before. I didn't even have to ask myself what had caused it. My mind had instantly went back to that creature. After what felt like hours of sitting there still as a statue, I finally worked up the nerve to go upstairs to the bathroom and check it out. I didn't know what I was going to do up there, but I still told myself to go check the bathroom. After seeing nothing and not hearing any more sounds, I decided to go to bed and hopefully get some sleep, but sleep wasn't going to happen. I lay down in bed and stare at the ceiling for about 10 minutes, and when I'm about to fall asleep I hear a loud banging at the window. I squeeze my eyes shut and try to tell myself it's just your imagination, but that wasn't going to work. I heard it again. And this time I sprung up out of bed, ran upstairs to my linen's closet, and picked up my compound bow case. I tried to open it and then remembered it was locked. In my panic, I couldn't think of where my keys were, so I ended up breaking the case and retrieving my compound bow and a few arrows. Yes, I realize that a compound bow is not a great weapon for this situation, but it's all I could think of using to defend myself. And I sat on the couch for the rest of the night. I didn't sleep a wink and all night I kept hearing small bumps and taps on the living room windows, and every time I would jump at the sound of it and try to tell myself that it's all my imagination. I sat there until the sun came up and I finally calmed down. The adrenaline from the situation kept me up, but now I was so tired I could hardly get up from where I sat. When I finally got up, I put my bow back in its case, cursed at myself for breaking the case, and moved into my bedroom. Two days ago was the last time I saw it since posting this, but this time it was just running through the field as usual. I'll keep updating if I see this creature again, and I have a feeling that it's not going to leave anytime soon, but but for now, I am working on getting videos or pictures of the creature, and I will update when I do. Fourth part. So, about a month ago I uploaded my third update on my encounters with this creature, and since then I have seen it a few more times. This post might be shorter than the others, but I haven't updated in a while, so I might as well upload this. About two weeks after my third update, I saw the creature once again. This time, I walked into my kitchen and caught something in my eye, right in front of my barn. The creature was staring in one of the open windows on the barn for some reason. I found myself staring at the creature for a few minutes, until it quickly turned its whole body 180 degrees to face me. The creature let out an ear-piercing scream that sounded as if though it was right in front of me. It then, once again, ran off into my neighbor's yard and into the woods. The other times, it just did the usual, running through the fields. I have asked my neighbors if they had seen anything strange or anyone on their properties, but they either try to change the subject or say that they haven't seen anything. For the past few days, I have been spending an hour a day sitting outside waiting for it so that I can get a picture proof of its existence. I probably won't upload again until I get pictures. If you have any experiences with the same or similar creature, I would love to hear it. This happened to me about six to seven years ago late at night. I talked with my friend on Skype while my family has slept. I told my friend I have to go to the toilet and I'll be back soon. I'm the kind of guy who turns on the lights where he goes. I tell this to make it clear that what I saw was not just a silhouette. I turned on the lights in the hallway, in the kitchen, in the corridor, and I went to the toilet. After I was done, I went out from the toilet into the corridor to wash my hands, so I turned to the bathroom. But from the corner of my eye, I noticed something unusual in the kitchen... I turned my head in that direction and I saw that someone was sitting at the kitchen table and staring right at me. I stopped and my heart started to beat very hard and fast. It was a man in a black suit. He looked like a 40-year-old man. His eyes, especially his iris, was dark, maybe dark brown, but I knew he was staring at me. For a moment, I wondered what I was going to ask him. Who are you? But no sound came out from my throat. For a while, I was still standing there waiting for something to happen, but that man did not move, and neither did I. Suddenly driven by the idea, I jumped into the bathroom and locked the door on myself. I washed my hands and my face with cold water, my whole body was trembling. I really did not know what to do, but I decided I would not stay in the bathroom. If this man was able to come into my house, he could get in the bathroom as well. I waited a few minutes before I opened the door. This was the hardest part because there was nothing in the bathroom with whom I could protect myself with. I was trying to yell at the other members of my family to wake them up and help me. I opened the door a bit and quickly looked out into the corridor. Nothing. I opened the door wider and looked into the kitchen too. Nothing. I was afraid but I came out from the bathroom and decided to look around the house, checking every possible place where the man could hide after that. I checked the storage room. The toilet, the kitchen, I found nothing. Then I checked the front door, all the windows, everything was closed, so there was no way to get in. I did not even see the traces of someone who would have broken into our house. From my point of view, the whole event took no more than 10 minutes. I went back to my room and on Skype I told my friend what just happened to me. He told me to check the clock how long it took. I was away. ...for more than an hour. These experiences all happened about 20 plus years ago in the home I grew up in. My sister and I and both of our friends always felt a bit of a sense of dread... ...originating from the side of the upstairs where the guest room was. When going upstairs, there was a hallway where, if you went right, it led to a game room in the guest room and the bathroom, and if you went left, it led to our bedrooms. Oftentimes at night, usually right after dusk, the lights in that hallway would turn off by themselves. I remember hanging out in the game room often, and I recall the hallway lights turning off. Upon investigating, the actual light switches were turned off. This would happen even when nobody was home. To this day, I sometimes have nightmares of that hallway and lights going out, leaving me alone and vulnerable in pitch-black darkness, though in reality the lights in the game room never went off on their own, and neither did lights in other parts of the house, so there was still some light. The closet in the guest room was odd. My sister refused to go near it. She said she was terrified of it, especially at night. The cats also refused to go near it. In fact, they refused to go near the guest room altogether." In one instance, a friend forcibly carried one of our cats into the guest room and she was absolutely terrified, fur standing on end and hissing. She clawed my friend and escaped away from the guest room as quickly as possible. There were often black widows hiding in there as well, and the black widows acted a bit strangely. I remember my mom spraying about 4-5 to as they walked out of the closet, running towards us aggressively. I've encountered a lot of Black Widows since and never seen any act like that. They are normally shy and non-aggressive. The exterminators weren't sure why so many Black Widows came from that closet. It was an interior room without any vents and windows, and only one wall was an exterior wall. We didn't have them in any other part of the house except maybe the garage every once in a while. Maybe I should omit the Black Widows incident since it could be explained by the mundane, but it fit a pattern of odd things originating around that guest room. Sometimes, when I was home alone at night, I would hear downstairs someone going through the flatware in one of the kitchen drawers. Sometimes they would be disturbed if I examined the drawers after hearing it. Sometimes the cats would also be downstairs, and when this happened, they were always in a deep sleep, like they didn't hear the noise at all. It happened so often that I eventually just ignored it and... Only after moving out did I think on how strange it was. There were a few more frightening experiences. The most frightening to me personally was one time right around dusk when I was going to the bathroom in the guest room. I was at an age where I didn't want to share the bathroom with my sister anymore. I was home alone. I always had a habit of locking doors so I had locked it. I was in the middle of wiping when the door handle to the bathroom started violently jiggling like someone was frantically trying to get in. It must have lasted a few seconds and then just suddenly stopped. It wasn't a normal kind of jiggling. It was as if someone who was seriously disturbed was doing it. I can't imagine a sane person jiggling a door handle like that. There was something unnatural and frightening about the way the door handle jiggled. I was frozen in fear for a couple of minutes and asked if anyone was there. No response. I eventually worked up the courage to open the door. Nothing out of the ordinary. I immediately called my parents who called the police who came and did a thorough search of the home. Of course they found nothing and all the doors and windows were locked and the alarm on so they said it was impossible for an intruder to have gotten in. In another instance I was downstairs playing some video games. I was home alone with my sister. She flew downstairs white as a sheet and told me she had just seen a red orb about the size of a golf ball just flying around her room. Not quite in a random pattern, but almost as if though it had some sort of intelligence to it. She said it resembled a laser pointer dot, but it was a three-dimensional sphere. I laughed it off and didn't believe her at the time. My sister reported many instances of her being home alone and her door handle opening on its own, and the door to her room being open. And nobody would be there. It eventually frightened her so much that she didn't want to be home alone anymore. It happened one time when her friend was home alone with her in the house and, if I recall correctly, her friend didn't like to come over at night after that. In another instance, I heard the phone ring. I was alone at night, but it was only ringing on the old phone in the guest room. I picked it up thinking maybe it was a friend, but it was this really weird static. There was something almost malevolent about the static, I can't really explain it. No disembodied voices or anything, but the static sounded quite sinister. It scared me quite a bit, and I hung up the phone and ran out of there. There were several instances where our cats would get startled all of a sudden and start staring at something. Their eyes would follow whatever it was as it slowly moved. I would try to see what they were looking at, but there was nothing. Both cats would stare at the unseen object or entity and follow it exactly identically with their eyes, as if they saw it simultaneously. This happened at least once or twice a week. I had a lot of odd nightmares in that house. So did my sister. This post is getting too long, so I won't go into it. There were also some other odd and frightening experiences, but I think those could be chalked up to more mundane explanations, such as a time where I swear I heard someone whispering in my room in the middle of the night but it's possible it was the fan rustling something and my imagination distorted the experience. Another experience I could share, but I was so young that I'm unsure if it actually happened or if it was a nightmare. I recall it as it was a true memory, though. It was in the middle of a bad storm in the afternoon. My mom was taking a nap. The front door lock unlatched itself and the front door creeped open. Nobody there, so I shut it. A few minutes later and the doorbell rings. I looked out the peephole and it looks like three to four figures that had hoods on and no faces. Or at least in the shadow where I couldn't see, like the Grim Reaper. No scythes though. They just stood there completely still. They had a menacing presence. I screamed and my mom came and looked out and nothing was there. Again, not sure if I dreamed this or if it was an actual memory. I do know something like that must have happened because... I distinctly remember the neighborhood watch increasing its patrol of our street after my mom told them some creepy people came to our door. More than likely, this was nothing paranormal and just my young, overactive imagination and the decay of young childhood memories over the decades. I must have been 6 or 7 at the time. Those other experiences happened when I was well into my early teenage years so I clearly recall them. The house was a new construction home, built in what was years before just an empty field, so I'm not sure how anything paranormal would have originated. Does anyone have any ideas? As soon as we moved out of that house, there were zero paranormal experiences. I stopped having nightmares except for once in a while and when I did, it was of the old house. The cats also seemed more relaxed and I never saw them staring at something unseen in the new house. I always try to rule out mundane and only will consider if something is paranormal if it fits a certain pattern of unexplained phenomenon. These experiences were reported by multiple people and our cats also reacted strangely. I have never experienced anything paranormal since moving out of this house. Some experiences since moving out were possibly paranormal but more than likely had a mundane explanation and were isolated incidences that didn't fit within a pattern of unexplained phenomena. My parents said that they never experienced anything paranormal in that house. I'm at a loss to explain how or why any of this happened. Sometimes I wonder if I should stop by my old house and talk to the current occupants to see if they experienced anything odd. But of course, I have no idea how to go about this without seeming like an insane person and possibly having the cops called on me. I have probably heard this story a million times and probably told it in equal measure. It's a story about me, but it's not my story, it's my aunt's story. I myself have vague memories of this happening, I would have been about six at the time. I remember a dream, I remember having an imaginary friend called Sunny, but that's about it. My aunt Mara, who wasn't my aunt by blood. She was married to my uncle John, who was my father's older brother. Every Sunday, she would go to the graveyard and put fresh flowers on graves and clean them up. One Sunday, she decided to bring me along with her to help her out. As she was cleaning the grave, I turned to her and asked if Sonny was buried here. These are her words, by the way. She said she dropped whatever was in her hand from the shock of it. She asked who Sonny was and I told her it was my friend, who I dreamed about. She asked me what he looks like. I told her it's a boy in a gray suit who carries a brown book with him. Then she asked me about the dreams. I told her I was here in the graveyard and someone was being buried. The boy in the gray suit was standing next to me holding his book. I said I turned and asked him who was getting buried. He turned to me and said that he was being buried and that his name was Sonny. Then I woke up. It turns out that Sonny was my grandfather's older brother who had died when he was 12 in a swimming accident when they were on holiday in a place called Kilke. Kilke is a seaside town in Ireland. Beautiful place. Now, the thing about it was Sonny was never talked about. Nobody would have ever met him because my grandfather was still very young himself when it happened. It wasn't a shameful secret or anything. It was just one of those things. Obviously, he would have been mentioned, but long before I was ever born. The strangest part of this whole story was the fact that the gray suit and the brown book was exactly what he was buried with are you looking for a trusted property insurance partner to help your business grow and stay resilient fm global uses science data and research to help you make informed decisions by working together fm global can help you grow your company with confidence and deliver the protection and expertise you need to thrive We're also here to help you navigate the complex world of ESG. We'll work with you to identify and mitigate risks related to natural disasters and offer solutions that contribute to a more sustainable future. Let's prepare to prosper. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. My name is Evan. I live in northern Alabama and will be moving soon. I currently live in a quiet neighborhood with my mom, dad, little brother, and dog. This happened during summer vacation when I was 10 years old. Every day I had chores to do and on Mondays and Tuesdays I had an extra chore. On Monday I had to take the recycling bin to the road since recycling day is on Tuesday. On Tuesday I would put the trash to the road because trash day was on Wednesday. Sometimes people would drive by while I was outside and I would wave to them. So it was a normal Tuesday afternoon around 3.30 and I went outside to go get the recycling bin while I brought the trash to the road. When I got to the edge of the road with the trash, someone was coming up the road. After I had gotten the mail, I gave them a wave but then they honked at me. When I closed the mailbox, they pulled up next to one of my neighbor's houses on the opposite side of the road. I barely remember what the truck looked like but I think it was either an old rusty dark red, dark blue or black 1989 Dodge Ram heavy-duty pickup truck. A man stepped out of the truck and made eye contact with me. He was African American and had dreadlocks for his hair and he looked like he was in the mid-20s or late 30s. When we made eye contact, he smiled and waved me over. Come here, he said. My heart skipped a beat when I heard him say this. Thankfully, my 10-year-old self knew that this was trouble. I began walking towards my house and he called out to me again. I don't entirely remember what he said but I remember it being something along the lines of Don't tell your mom. I had already gotten inside by the time he finished that sentence. I immediately ran into the kitchen where my mom was washing dishes. When I told her, she was shocked by this and immediately told my dad who had just woken up from a nap. My dad confronted the guy and after a few minutes he came back inside. Apparently my dad told me that the man wanted to give me something. After a few more minutes I saw the truck drive away and I'd never seen that truck or that man again. Now I probably know what you're thinking, how is this scary? Well let me ask you this, why would a grown man driving an old rusty looking pickup truck tell a 10 year old kid to come over to him? Think about that for a second, what do you think that's normal? Would you think it's normal for a grown man to say that he wanted to give something to a 10-year-old kid? I wouldn't. And as it turns out, after turning on the morning news the next day, guess which face I see as a police sketch art plastered across our television? The guy from last night. Apparently only two neighborhoods over, the same situation occurred to a girl named Natalie from a grade below me. She was out in her front yard playing and had followed his command to come closer to his vehicle. As she got within arm's reach, he quickly opened his door attempting to reach and grab her. The girl hurtled back and the man retreated to his vehicle and drove off upon her 80 pound pit bull, recognizing the danger and jumping to action. Thankfully no one was hurt, but this incident gave me a pretty direct clue to what intentions this man had for me. This happened when I was about eight or nine. I wish I knew more details about what happened because the memories are sort of a blur to me now and my mom doesn't like to talk about this. My mom used to work at a gym as a Zumba teacher. Because of that, my mom, brother, and I had free memberships and we would be there pretty much on a daily basis. All the employees at the gym were very good friends with each other so my mom was close with a lot of them. One of her closer friends was a receptionist at the front desk who was named Danny. Danny was your average 20-something-year-old guy. I remember from all the times he would sign us into the gym that he was super nice and he had a wife and two younger kids, about five or six years old. One day, at about two and a half years after she had first gotten her job at the gym, my mom picked me up from school, crying her eyes out. We had had some struggles with money due to some family issues around that time, so I thought this was normal because of all the stress she was under. When I got into the car, I asked her if she was okay. She said no, and I asked if it was about the money, being the nosy little child I was. What she told me scared me and still gives me a chill down my spine when I think about it. The previous night, Danny was expecting to receive a PlayStation from someone on Craigslist. He and the owner of the PlayStation had exchanged numbers, so when he saw his phone go off and a car pull up next to his condo, He went outside with the money to buy it. His wife was in the kitchen making dinner and his kids were playing in their rooms. Danny told his wife he was going to go outside to pick up the playstation and hurried out the door. The car had tinted windows, my mom told me, so he couldn't really see who was inside. Danny went up to the passenger window and whoever was inside rolled down the window. In that moment, there were two very concerning things in the car. There was no playstation and one of the two people inside was holding a gun. Before he could yell for help or call the cops, the man with the gun demanded that Danny give him his money. He handed over the money to him instantly. After he received the phone, the guy with the gun shot Danny in the chest numerous times, and he and the other man in the car drove away. I don't know exactly how, but his wife and neighbors found out what happened and called the cops. Danny's body was found in some bushes outside, in his wife's condo, an innocent man who happened to be both a husband and a father to two young children was shot dead by two scammers from Craigslist over a hundred dollars. My mom was devastated about what happened, and for about six months after the shooting, my family would sometimes bring them to dinner. My mom and Danny's wife would talk in the living room for a couple of hours while my brother and I played with the kids. The kids had never really processed what had happened. They just thought their dad was on vacation, and that still to this day breaks my heart. It's been about seven or eight years since this happened, and we lost touch with the family and all the gym employees after a year after the shooting, when my mom eventually quit her job. Let me start off by explaining that the following events have taken place in four different houses. Also, you should know that I was 12 when they started. I by no means am fit and have a lot of social anxiety so I do not go out often. Now to the events. When I was 12 or so, my family, mom, dad, and brother were renting. But one night I was lying in bed home alone. Scared of the dark, I left the bathroom light on with the door cracked. An hour into the night, I was starting to fall asleep when, in the corner of my eye, I noticed someone's shadow on the wall. Not standing, like they were on the wall. Hands and feet. I don't know what I saw, but it can stay away. About a week later, on another night, the door was almost kicked down. I don't know if something scared the intruder. My family was convinced to move away, so we did move to the next town over. More of a rural town than the previous that I said. Now, to the interesting part of the story, we moved into a two story house. There was a ground floor, the second level, the attic. No one ever went into it when we moved in. That will become irrelevant later. There was a sub basement, then a full basement. We had a pretty big privacy fence around the backyard. Anyway, I had lived in the second story room with a window that overlooks the front yard. I have severe insomnia, so one night I was stargazing when I noticed a red dot on my wall. I looked outside and saw a red gaze from someone else's window. We don't have any kids in the neighborhood, so what was the light? It moved to me when I popped up. I was an idiot. I kept looking outside, looking for the source of the light. I ended up finding it in the second story of the house across the way. Fast forward a few nights and I am in the sub-basement. It has two windows that if you duck down, you are below ground. I had the lights off and was just checking the windows for the night, making sure they were all locked. They were before I went back to my room. I used the restroom on that floor. After doing my business and washing, I opened the door. Now remember, it was pitch black throughout the house, so through the windows I checked, beams of light rushed through. They moved from window to window. Someone has to be scouting my home. Being as smart as a 16-year-old could get, I walked over to the porch lights and turned them on and off. The lights turned off fast and when I looked out, nothing. I sat on my bed looking out over the yard till I fell asleep. The following day, I inspected the windows and door. The door has a crack by the lock where someone attempted to break in. A few months later, the attic panel had been cracked and chunks of it were laying on the ground. We never replaced it, so for the next two years we lived there, the panel had a corner missing. If we shined a flashlight, you could see into it. I do not know why, but I always had a bad feeling about that place. I moved out last year and my new place already had someone try to break in. I struggle to sleep at night because I'm afraid one day, whatever or whoever it is, we'll finally find a way in My husband moved around a lot as a kid and at one point his grandfather had custody of him due to his parents having issues They lived in the bay area of California at that time and grew really close His grandfather passed away when we were teenagers so I never met his grandfather and neither did our children In the summer of 2015 we moved to Tuolumne County and I had my younger cousins come and stay the weekend so I could take them to visit Yosemite since it isn't far off from where we live. My cousins were sleeping in the living room on our couch and lazy boy when I was woken up at around 3am hearing footsteps outside my door. Thinking one of them may have been awake I got up to check on them and make sure they were okay. Both were laying there awake with the hugest eyes I've ever seen. Once they noticed me they began a barrage of questions, most of which consisted of asking me about that old man and if he lived with us, which of course creeped me out because it was just my husband and I who lived in the apartment. I instantly double checked my front door, it was still locked. I also began checking all over the apartment for the old man, which I should have found since it was a small one bedroom and nobody besides us of course was there. The next day, they told my husband about the old man, and he laughed saying maybe we're all just tired and seeing things, and at one point, even thought we were trying to prank him. Fast forward to the summer of 2017, and we then lived in a larger apartment with two bathrooms. I had my little cousin, a different cousin this time, come stay the night to have a play date with my daughter. Being nine, he opted to stay up playing the PlayStation 4 in the living room instead of actually going to bed. The next morning we were having breakfast when my little cousin asked me about the old man. My husband began to laugh and basically said, this didn't work the last time and it won't work this time, again believing we were trying to play a prank. That night my cousin went to bed in the room with my daughter and woke up the next day saying the old man covered both him and my daughter up in the middle of the night so they wouldn't be cold. He said he asked, who are you? and the man put his finger to his lips in a shh gesture and then left the room. At this point, I became curious and asked what the old man looked like. My cousin began describing the old man and my husband went completely pale and then went to the bookshelf and pulled out a photo album and opened it up to a page in the middle with a photo of him and his grandfather. He showed my cousin who responded with, yeah, that's him. Then came the first week of my son coming home from the hospital this past January. My son had feeding issues as a baby and would spit up a lot. After I put my kids to sleep, I went to take a shower. A few minutes later, I heard someone pounding on the bathroom door and a male voice screaming to come quick. I didn't think, I just ran out of the shower and into my children's room. My son had spit up in his sleep and was choking on it. I was able to clear his throat and calm him down and get him back to bed. It then dawned on me my husband was at work so there was no man in the house and if there was, how come his banging on the door and very loud screaming didn't wake up my daughter? The next day, I brought it up to my husband who got kind of creeped out over it. Then my daughter came up to us and said to my husband, No scary, papa was here. I was very afraid of the old man at first, but after this, I'm no longer afraid. At this point, I can only be thankful that my husband's grandfather is coming to visit my family, because if he didn't, my son could have died that night. So a few days ago, around 9pm, I was on the way to my aunt's house, which takes about an hour. As we were on the way there, nothing creepy happened until we came along to her driveway. The driveway is a very long gravel way, has a few holes here and there and is shaded with trees all along it. We slowly drove down and I was staring out the window to see a man standing behind a tree. I thought it was my cousin because he seemed to do that a lot. After entering the house, I asked my aunt where my cousin was and she said that he was out of town with his mom. It made my heart drop to my stomach. A few hours go by and it was 11 p.m. We said our goodnights and left. We get in the car and we start to leave. As we got to the end of the way, I noticed the man again in the same place. As we got onto the main road, he disappeared into thin air. I was a little weirded out and decided to call my aunt and... She said that she would let her dogs out to scare whoever it was off, but they never barked. She told me that she would keep the door open throughout the night and let the dogs have full access of the entire yard, just to be on the safe side. We drove for about 15 minutes. When we stopped at a stoplight, I was surveying the outside and saw a man in an empty parking lot only lit by a street light, just standing there with his head completely laying on his shoulder again. My heart... Dropped into my stomach. We drove off, and after me scanning out the window for a while, I saw the same man again in another parking lot standing the same way. I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me this whole time because I don't get much sleep due to my paranoia, but I was wide awake. We got back to the town that I live in, and we stopped to get gas. My mom goes into the gas station to pay and to get some snacks, and I was playing with my phone when I get the sudden urge to look up. When I did, I saw the man about a hundred feet away from the car standing behind a large bush, slowly walking towards me, just walking into the bush. Then my mom swings the door open looking at her phone so my attention shot to her. When I looked back to where the man was standing, he was gone. We left and I didn't see anything which gave me relief until we got to my house. We got out of the car and started to head in. I then realized I left my phone in the car I rushed back to get it, but as I go to open the door, I saw the man at the end of my driveway. My eyes got wide and I got very scared. Keep in mind, I'm only 5'4", 135 pounds, and this man looks to be about 7 feet tall. I was frozen until he started to walk ever so slowly. I quickly got my phone and as soon as I shut the car door and looked back at him, he stood completely still. As soon as I took a step back, he started a full-on sprint my direction. My adrenaline kicked in and I booked it into the house. I slammed the front door and my mom looked at me very concerned. I told her about it, then looked out the window to show her, but once again, he was gone. I had not seen this man for a while, although I have weird taps on my window every night at 1am, right on the dot. I'm reminded of this encounter every Thanksgiving. This happened when I was about 14. I was visiting my grandmother for Thanksgiving, who didn't exactly live in the nicest town. In fact, it was pretty scummy, although it used to be nicer. A lot of my family lived there, though, and they would all come to my grandmother's for Thanksgiving dinner. This included my cousins, two 20-year-old males, who my brother and I would hang out with when we were bored. Since all of my relatives were talking, we had nothing better to do. My cousins offered to take a walk with my brother and me. I grabbed a flashlight since it was pitch black out and we started on our way. We walked down the street, turned the corner and went under the overpass. We walked up a hill, crossed through a parking lot and went down a few streets when we reached the downtown area. It was basically a ghost town as everyone was home with their families except for a few people and a few cars. We kept walking and talking for several minutes until we noticed the silhouette of a man about a hundred yards behind us. We didn't really pay any attention to him though as there was nothing out of the ordinary yet. About five minutes later we were getting really cold so we turned around and headed back to our family. We crossed the streets and went back through the parking lot and kept walking when my brother pointed out that the same man was on the sidewalk in front of the lot. He was just standing there and he appeared to be watching us. We stopped and I was getting pretty suspicious at this point but my cousins assured me that I was just being paranoid. We continued to walk down the lot and onto the sidewalk on the other side of the lot when the man started walking parallel to us. My brother and I were really starting to get freaked out now but my cousins assured us that we were fine. We started to walk faster while I kept an eye on the man still walking parallel to us through the gaps in between the buildings. We walked past a few more buildings, but I stopped seeing him in the spaces in between them. This made me calmer, but I also had this weird, eerie feeling. We went back down the hill, making sure he wasn't following us, being teased by my cousins for being paranoid. We started to walk under the overpass when one of my cousins said, What if he showed up behind us? He laughed, but this made me even more frightened. I turned on my flashlight and shined it behind us my jaw dropped because not 50 feet behind me I saw the man come out from behind a pole of the overpass. I screamed which caused my cousins to turn around. When they saw what I saw they told us to run and we all booked it. We kept running as fast as we could and finally got to my grandmother's. We ran in, slammed and locked the door and started to hyperventilate. We told her family what had happened but our cousins made it out to be less scary than it actually was. It was a good thing we were leaving for home about an hour later, but I still wonder what he would have done to us if he'd caught us. I was raised Baptist until I was 11 and then converted to Catholicism. Around age 13, I decided I didn't agree with many of the Catholic practices. I went to my dad and told him I didn't want to go to church anymore and stated my reasons why. My dad asked what my plan was for my soul. I explained to him that I definitely believe in God and just wanted to explore other religions, so he allowed me to do my own thing. I went to other churches occasionally, just to learn why different religions believed what they believed. Fast forward about 17 years, I'm now about 30 years old. My best friend at the time was my neighbor. She believed in the power of the universe, karma, etc., but isn't comfortable with titles like God and such. We would have lots of deep theological conversations. Sometimes we agreed, sometimes we didn't, but we respected each other's opinions and differences. She starts dating a guy from another state online and eventually he moves to our state and moves in with her. She makes sure to inform me that he is an atheist, in case he makes any statements that offend me, I guess. Now, I know this guy can talk because when I'm on the phone with her, I can hear him talking to other people in the background, but any time I would go over there, he wouldn't utter a word. If he had anything to say, he would whisper it in her ear. I found this incredibly strange and wondered if he was talking about me or what. One day, I'm surfing the web and happened to come across something and notice his name, except it has reverend in front of his name. I was puzzled and intrigued, so I clicked on it. Turns out, it's his personal website. He's not an atheist, he's a Satanist. He has numerous vlogs and web shows on this channel where he's preaching from the Satanic Bible, so he can definitely talk, and quite elegantly, which surprises me and also confuses me. I'm on the phone with my dad one day and tell him about this guy and... I'm confused as to why he won't speak around me. What my dad says gives me chills. Jennifer, you're a very strong spirit. It's not that he won't speak around you. He can't speak around you. Your spirit silences his demons. I live with my husband in Hawaii. The move from the mainland has been challenging, to say the least. I have always found comfort in stuffed animals and have a growing collection. My husband plays video games and got me invested in his Switch. We play a lot of Super Mario Party because I think it's fun and I think Boo is really cute. Because Goomba has a larger role in this game, he got my attention. I ended up playing as him a couple of times and fell for his cuteness as well. So, like I do, I went and bought a plush Goomba to add to my collection. He came within a week and I was not disappointed. Only a little to my surprise, my husband really likes him too. So much so, I sometimes catch him cuddling with him when I come back from the bathroom at night. I have a condition that makes going to the bathroom a whole epic event. Sometimes, my husband and I tease each other using the Goomba, holding him and making him nod or shake his head yes and no questions, making it seem like he likes one over the other, stuff like that. He started to take on his own personality through this and sometimes we accuse each other of changing his answers, all in jest of course. One day though, I woke up from a nap a little chilly and decided to turn off the fan. I got up, leaving Goomba propped up against my pillow and leaned against my husband on his computer to turn off the fan. It should be noted my husband was not in bed with me, we just have a really small apartment. When I turned around to lay back down, Goomba was right beside me on his two feet and looking at me. I didn't really respond except to furrow my brow and ask my husband if he'd moved Goomba to prank me. He said no and I believe him. His whole attention was on his screen. He works at the local university and it was the week before finals and on top of that he usually owns up to his pranks. On top of that, I hadn't felt or seen him move. In the end I concluded that he must have rolled when I moved across the mattress because he's just plush and not really alive but because of the games my husband and I play with him I like to think he just really wanted my attention that day. What do you think? Do you guys think it was just a coincidence he moved the way he did or could something paranormal have happened? I don't really believe in special people seeing paranormal things. Not that I'm a non-believer. I just don't understand why so many people on the planet and only a few can do so. This becomes important, I think. I was abused as a child. I was beat and burned by my parents and the strangers they continuously let in the house. Unfortunately, I don't really remember this as I was under five. My foster parents tell me everything truthfully. However, my mother was a Wiccan and she would continuously curse and hex myself and my family. I worked this out with letters and strange markings on my body that only appeared after my foster parents gave my mother some visits to me. Growing up, I was diagnosed with autism and then bipolar disorder type 2 and now at 26, PTSD from my mother's actions. When I was little, I had strange things happen to me. My bed would irk up in the middle as though someone was pushing at it from underneath, and I would see a black, misty person stand at my bedroom door. I should mention I didn't start suffering from sleep paralysis until I was 18. My foster father, to help get over my fear of the dark, had me run down my backyard at night one night and back to the house. I did this crying and begging not to, but I did it anyway. As I got past the shed... I saw the same figure standing at the corner of the shed with its big red eyes staring at me and it charged towards me as I stared. I was knocked to the ground and heard my foster father run screaming down the yard as he saw what happened but when he got there, the black mist had gone. A few months later, a junk driver had crashed out the front of our house and woke my parents up and myself who rushed outside to help him. They told me to wait inside and don't look at the car. I think they did that because, in case they didn't want me to see a mangled dead body. As I turned around, I saw the black mass with red eyes at my bedroom door and charged at me again. Though this time I screamed so hard my foster mother had come back and picked me up as it had vanished as though she was a safety net that could protect me from anything. I ended up moving out of home and around the age of 20 due to my brother having his girlfriend at the time gotten pregnant and... They needed my room for the baby. I moved out and this is where things began to get more detailed. I began suffering from sleep paralysis and my computer which was in my lounge room began to randomly turn itself on at night. But I never noticed it until the morning. I lived alone and every time I had sleep paralysis I would be facing the door to my bathroom which was quite small and had a white shower curtain that had a lot of mold on it. As living there got worse and so did my sleep paralysis, I began to vividly see my bathroom door open and there would be a girl and a boy standing in my bathtub with each passing episode they would get closer and closer to my door. After a couple of years I began to see more and more strange things in my apartment. My neighbor downstairs was suffering from some mental disability which prone him to wild aggressive situations and bashing on my door at night. A few times it would wake me from nightmares and I was grateful at times for it. I was honestly terrified overall. I moved into my new house and with my now fiancé and future husband. I guess if you have to know, I am gay and 26 and covered in tattoos. I still see the mist with red eyes and the two children from my old apartment every now and then, but now in my new house I see a very old woman in my dreams. She doesn't do anything, but stand in my bedroom mirror, not facing it, but inside it, her hair waving in the air like a banshee and just watching me. She looks like my mother if she were in her 80s. I don't think I am special and I don't believe I am spiritual or mad. I think I am more likely a schizophrenic, if anything. Or am I? I would love to know if anyone has had anything similar happen. This happened to me back in 7th grade and my memory of this occurrence might be slightly fuzzy. My day started out like any other. I woke up groggy and half awake and wasted half my energy slipping into my clothes. I got the rest of my routine done and everything was fine. Grabbed my backpack and headed into the car with my 6 month pregnant mom, soon to have my sister. My brother had to go to school at a later time than me as he was still in elementary So my dad, being the jobless couch potato he is, stays behind to watch the house. He usually sees us out and opens the gate for us to drive out. Now to explain the layout of our garage and driveway, trust me, it will hopefully answer a question you will have that I don't want to answer later, I have a back porch with a back door that leads to a garage on the side of the house. We have a gate so nobody simply waltzes into the back of our house, obviously, and this gate leads to our actual driveway and then out to the street. Now, when my dad opens the gate and my mom drives out, then we notice a car parked on the street past the corner of our driveway. We couldn't see them as they were angled to where our house and front plants blocked view on the side of the street. As soon as my mom got into the driveway and my dad closed the gate, this car blocks us into our driveway. Three men hopped out of the car dressed in what seems like police clothing and start banging on the windows of our car. Two of these men are armed with police batons and one has what seems like a handgun. The man with the handgun is demanding for us to unlock the doors and get out, all the while pointing the gun at my pregnant mother. My mom actually works in our school system here and knows well enough what the police uniforms look like and did not oblige to their demands, simply saying in shock, you're not cops, you're not police, you're not the cops, One of the baton men are banging at my window, and the last of the three is screaming at my dad to open the gate, and my dad scurries back to the house since one, he's naked, and two, the man with the pistol moved from my mom's window to screaming at him and pointing the gun at him. Now another man I did not address was the car's driver, who was still in the car. For some reason he moves the car slightly forward, and this gives my mom the golden opportunity to absolutely deck the gas and book it out of the driveway. The three men flee to their car, and my mom, like a madman, swerves the car and starts chasing the men's car since we didn't get a license plate. My mom calls up the police and starts frantically explaining the situation. So my mom is chasing this car for a good five minutes out of the neighborhood and into a traffic-heavy main street. The car we were chasing nearly crashed into a ditch while we were chasing them, but thanks to their slow speed, they were able to change direction quickly and book it away, and my mom lost sight of them after they blended back into other traffic. I think I was the only one to get a good look at the license plates, but even then was only able to remember about three characters. Since they escaped, my mom really didn't know what to do other than to send us back to school And hopefully, pass this day somewhat normally until the police come after school and ask us for details. I go by most of the school day until one of my friends notices my shaken up mood and asks what's wrong. I completely break down in class and cannot hold any tears back. I get home from school, and later, the police come and ask for more details, yada yada. I give them about the only three characters I remember from the license plate, and that's about all the important parts I can remember. I'm surprised I've been able to live this moment down as three lives could have been lost, one not yet even having a single moment with their family, so I really don't know who to thank other than the other driver's idiotic mind and my mom's quick thinking for us still being alive. Let me start by saying that I really enjoy driving, and I'll often be on the road for hours just listening to music and getting lost. So more often than not, I will sleep in my car on the side of a country road. I don't like it when I'm the passenger though, so I always go alone. Usually, I sleep for a bit, wake up, then go home without incident. There's been a couple of times when a deer has startled me, or even a person knocking on my window to make sure I was okay was met with a scream. But what happened last night takes the absolute cake. I took my dogs up to a really nice walk I had read about online. It was about a five hour drive, and I had planned to drive for about an hour at a time, explore for a bit, then keep going so the dogs didn't get restless or bored. I had taken plenty of food and water, and was planning to be gone for about a day, which I was, and was going to a park in a popular parking spot. The caravanners and the like tend to stay overnight. It was lovely and myself and the dogs had a really good time. We arrived at our sleeping destination and found that there wasn't any space to park. The bays weren't laid out so you just kind of had to use your common sense and find a spot where you weren't blocking anyone in. The parking area was free and could only contain about 10 cars or vans without it being too tight. I was a little annoyed but hey ho, it's a very rural area so I carried on for a little while and pulled into a lay-by to rest before I drove home. I let the dogs out to do their business, and then went to sleep, thinking nothing of it. To describe where I had parked, it was opposite a little cottage, but not directly in front of it, and there were plenty of trees, so I didn't feel as though I was intruding on the owners in any way. I felt very safe. For some reason, I was having trouble nodding off. Usually, I slept like a baby in my car, because it is very spacious and comfortable, and as silly as it may sound to some, I genuinely thought I had nothing to worry about. That was until a long, high-pitched scratching sound woke me and the dogs up at about 11pm, just after I had drifted off. The dogs went nuts, as they usually do at the drop of a hat, and I was still in a confused daze when I saw a very tall, middle-aged man dragging what I thought was a key around the perimeter of my car. He walked very slowly and didn't take his eyes off of me the entire time. He also had a very malicious grin on his face. Horrified, I cranked my chair up and started the car, ready to floor it, but he had made his way to the front of my bonnet and trees were blocking me from reversing. This was when I saw that he was holding a butcher's knife. He held it up and sort of waved it at me. I screamed and laid on the horn, and my dogs had leapt over the back seat and were practically frothing at the mouth, and it didn't seem to faze him. This lasted about 10-15 to seconds, not long, and then he just slowly walked away, across the road and into the cottage. I drove home without stopping, I'm never, never doing that again. Thanks for ruining it for me, genuinely terrifying man, and thanks for ruining my paintwork. I don't know if he was trying to teach me a lesson for parking outside of his house or what, but either way, I will probably be scarred for life. One time I went to the bar with one of my friends. I had just turned 21, so I haven't been to too many bars up to that point. My friend was drinking on the way to the bar, so he was already pretty drunk when we got there. When I sat at the bar a cute girl came and talked to me and my friend. She said her name was Candace and I noticed that she had really really bright red hair. I assumed she dyed it. It was pretty but unnatural. This girl was flirting with me and my friend. She could tell my friend was already pretty out of it. To be honest I played along like I was drunk already too since it seemed to be working for my friend. I didn't know if she was just trying to get a free drink so I told her we didn't have much money. She offered to buy us drinks. She kept buying us drinks and I started to get confused as to who she liked between me and my friend. My friend went to the bathroom. Before he came back he was kicked out by the bouncers. He obviously went a little too far. Candace and I went outside with him. She kept telling him to go home with her. He was so out of it he could barely answer her. I told her he was too drunk and that I couldn't let him go anywhere. I didn't want him to wake up hungover in some random house with no car and no idea what happened. Candace kept pushing it, saying that she would take care of him, but I told her no because I had to stay with him. I was more sober than him, he was my responsibility. I told her the only way he was going anywhere was if I tagged along. I assumed that she thought that I was jealous or something, but my friend could barely stand and lost interest in Candace already at that point. She immediately started flirting with me and offered to get my friend a taxi to drive him home and said we could go to her place alone. At this point, I had a few drinks and I was pretty buzzed, so I agreed. We took my friend to the taxi and walked to her car. I slightly stumbled on the way to her car. Wow, you're pretty drunk, huh? She said smiling as she held onto my arm. Yeah, I said. I don't know why, but I just felt slightly shy and anxious. Everything was just happening too easy for me, so I felt a little uneasy. We got into her car, we drove down the street. "'Want to stop at the liquor store and get some more to drink?' "'I'll buy it so you don't have to worry about paying,' she offered. "'I didn't want to drink any more than I already did. I was already buzzed and wanted to be able to carry myself throughout the rest of the night. Sometimes I made myself look stupid when I'm drunk, so I didn't want to ruin anything with Candace more than I already did earlier,' With telling her my friend was too drunk. I told her I was already drunk enough but she insisted. I didn't want to seem lame so I told her to get me a pint of liquor with some apple juice to chase it. She went in the store and came out with a lot more than just a pint. I assumed she wanted to drink more also and that's why she got a fifth instead of a pint. On the car ride we passed the bottle back and forth but she took tiny sips. I tried to take tiny sips but she kept passing me the bottle and telling me to drink. I somehow managed to drink all of my apple juice and pretended to drink the bottle by spitting the liquor in the apple juice bottle. I tossed the apple juice bottle full of liquor out the window before she saw it. I didn't want her to know that I was acting drunker than I was. She actually believed I was sloppy drunk when I was simply buzzed. I took a couple more sips of liquor and finished the bottle. Throughout the car ride, I called her the wrong name a couple of times to get a reaction out of her. She didn't react to it. She just kept letting me call her Carla without correcting me. For some reason, I thought she lied to me about her name initially. We drove up to her house. I pretended to trip and stumble into her front door. She helped me walk inside by holding me up. She opened her front door, which was unlocked. We walked in her house. She closed her front door and then locked it. I thought that was strange, but assumed that she didn't want anyone walking in on us. I told her that I had to use the bathroom. I walked into her bathroom, locked the door, and looked in the mirror. I just felt strange. I felt like something was off. I felt myself becoming more drunk from finishing the bottle earlier. I turned on the sink to make noise and made myself puke up the liquor that I had drank. I flushed and went to the sink and started drinking the tap water out of my hands to sober up. I just didn't want to be drunk but I still wanted to hook up with Candace, so I wanted to pretend to be drunk. I turned the sink off and I could hear her talking to someone. He's drunk, he can barely stand up. You do it. Who is she talking to? And do what? I walked out of the bathroom and into the living room. The moment I stepped into the living room I saw her walking into another room. All I could see was the back of her head that strange very bright red hair go into another room. I didn't see her face or anything. I just saw her kind of walk fast into the room. The living room was pretty dark. Hey, where are you going? I slurred like I was drunk. She walked back into the dark living room and up to me. Let's go in my room, she said. I looked at her bright red hair and then into her eyes. They were different. Her face was different. It was another girl with the same hair. That's when I realized it was another girl with the same wig on. It was a wig the whole time. She had changed it with the girl from earlier for whatever reason. My heart felt like it stopped, but I tried to look like I had no idea it was a different girl. I kind of smiled at her and told her I just needed to use the bathroom one more time and told her that I was sorry that I was so drunk. She said it's fine. Just hurry up in there. I went into the bathroom and locked the door. I heard her whisper something to someone again this time. I think I heard a male voice whisper back. I honestly didn't concentrate on listening to exactly what she said. Something sketchy was going on and I had to get out of that house. I opened the bathroom window and jumped straight out of it and ran faster than I have ever ran in my life. I didn't look behind myself for anything. I just ran through the backyard jumped the fence, ran through someone else's backyard, hit a road and ran toward the main road. I kept running down the main road until I saw a Star CVS. I ran into the CVS and stood straight at the front of the store in front of the camera. I called a taxi and went home. I try to think what happened that night. What was she or they planning that night? Why did she tell me a fake name? Why was she trying to get my friend and I so drunk? I thought maybe a robbery, but she kept spending money on us. She kept buying us drinks and even paid for my friend's taxicab. And mostly, why did she wear a wig that she gave to another girl to wear? Who was she talking to? What did it mean? And what was in that room they tried to lure me into? I live in the valley of Sacramento, California, a few miles from the American River. This particular river is only a short walk from a vintage part of my town, where there are absolutely nothing but chickens and family-owned businesses. My first job was a family-owned coffee shop when I was 16 in that little town. To give you some backstory, now a lot of homeless folk often flock to the river and would often wander in my shop. I dealt with the odd bodies on and off almost every day without care. However, there was one weirdo I remember vividly enough that it still makes me sit and wonder. When I was new to the shop, it took some time to get to know regulars and remember their names. I had a lot of faces to memorize. One face in particular, for some reason, sat in my mind far above others. A stout bald man with a wide nose and thinly rimmed glasses. He wasn't quite old, but he wasn't the youngest man I'd met. He would stand outside my store for about 10 minutes every day before coming in to stand in the back of the cafe and watch me and my other co-workers clean and make coffee. Sometimes he wouldn't order anything, but when he did, he would always get a small black coffee and a small serving of potato salad. He would always ask for napkins and he would always ask for a pen. After ordering, he would proceed to write things down on one of the napkins, leave his empty coffee cup on the table, and take his food out the door, where he would stand and watch us pick up his trash. I noticed over time that he seemed to look irritated when I wasn't the one to do so. Every time he did this, he would leave small notes and pour in poor and rough handwriting. He would then throw away his salad outside. His notes were more personal. At first, I thought of it as nothing more than a sweet thank you. I often write small notes to servers on receipts from time to time. Things like, Wonderful day, thank you. So it became more queer over time. Beautiful day, take a break, I'm outside. You look lovely today, love your hair. My co-workers would make a gag out of the notes if they weren't thrown away before reading. Once I assume he figured out that the other girls were the ones grabbing them. He began to leave them on the end of the counter where my espresso machine was. You make me happy, Keen, one of them read. I still don't know how he learned my name or who he asked, but I presume one of my co-workers on the day I was off. I began to get increasingly uncomfortable whenever he would stand outside and watch me work, or when he would order from my till. I could only smile and thank him as I got his coffee and salad, customer service voice and all. This next part is where it gets interesting. One week toward the end of summer, he worked his routine of window shopping before ordering, asking for napkins and a pen and going about his letter. However, he did not ask for a pen or napkins and proceeded to only ask for coffee. He left to the restroom. I forgot how long he was in there since I myself took my lunch break as soon as the order was done. When I returned, I was told that someone had left their cup in the restroom and it had been emptied and left on top of the toilet. When I went in there and checked, it was filled with baby gravy, if you know what I mean. I honestly don't know if it was him, but the timing was too close to not assume. I did not see him after that for a while because I traded my early starts for closing shifts. The last time I had seen him, he came in late. I presume he found this out either by stalking or asking my coworkers why I was no longer a morning maid. He asked me kindly for a cup of coffee and a potato salad, a pen, and a napkin. I obliged, but I was hardly enthusiastic. The routine went normally. He drank his coffee, sat and wrote, left it on the counter without looking up and walked out into the night. He didn't stop to watch. He didn't throw away his salad. You're lovely every time. Thank you for the smiles. Leave the glitter to the blondes. I don't even know what that means. He also said, "You're a young flower amongst the sunset, keen." After that, I never saw him come into the store or lurk outside of the window. I don't often lend out pens as much as I used to." The story happened almost two years ago. It was summertime and I was about to turn 21. Even after the fact, I still looked as though I was underage. For reference, I am a female, fairly short and baby-faced. This particular summer, I worked at a truck stop combined with two fast food chains. I worked in one of the fast food areas. Something else to mention is that this truck stop was located right next to a very busy highway. This meant that we received an abundance of customers on a daily basis. Our fast food chain was employed only by women particularly high school students, as this area did not have many places to find work. Once I began working there, I immediately began to notice that one man stood out every time he came into our workplace. This man was in his 40s, with black hair, a thin stick of a man, dressed in all black and wearing a fedora. No matter what, he always wore the fedora. As someone who had just started working there, I really made it a point to focus on making connections with the customers. Making eye contact, introducing myself, lots of smiling, basically just trying to be the best employee that I could be. The first time this man came in, he was straight-faced and did not speak much. I took his order and when he left, my co-workers began to talk about how he was a weird guy. Fedora man would come into our workplace every single day and comment on my very underage co-workers' appearances, even go as far as to ask for their phone numbers. My co-workers have told him many times that they are not interested, underage, etc. This did nothing to deter him. I was immediately concerned but tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. My second encounter with Fedora Man was vastly different. This time Fedora Man seemed eager to see me. I recall so vividly how he watched me serve every single customer in line. Each time he got closer to ordering his smile would grow wider and wider pictured a close smile turned wide with all of his teeth showing each time he got closer to me. Once it was his turn, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, you're a lot nicer than all the other girls here. Not once did that creepy smile leave his face. I don't think I ever saw him blink. I thanked him and continued with his order. Fedora man thanked me and off he went. After about an hour or so of serving customers, I was asked by the manager to step into her office. Once inside, my manager gave me a heads up that Fedora Man called her gas station to personally let her know that I was a great addition to the team. Fedora Man also asked for my number. My manager hoped that by telling Fedora Man that I was underage, even though I wasn't and this didn't stop him from hitting on my other underage co-workers, that this would deter him from trying to get my number. His exact words, per my manager, were, I don't mind, a little jailbait. My manager let Fedora Man know that this was incredibly inappropriate. Fedora Man simply laughed and hung up the phone. As Fedora Man had tried asking for multiple girls their number, she managed to finally do something about it and notify our male supervisor. The next day, our supervisor approached Fedora Man as he walked into the store. They talked for a few moments before Fedora Man stopped out. He did not look happy. Later on, my manager would tell me that our supervisor did not ban Fedora Man from the store, but rather let him know that he was making us uncomfortable. This did not deter Fedora Man as he returned the next day and specifically asked for me. I was nervous, but still served him as it was my job. This time, Fedora Man asked for my number in person. If I wasn't working, I would have said... No, God no. But as I was on the clock, I politely declined. Fedora Man continued to smile and show all of his teeth. Fedora Man continued to return every single day and specifically asked for me. After a few days of this going on, I finally broke down and asked to work in the back of the store every time he came in so I could avoid seeing him. Fedora Man made me incredibly uncomfortable and I wanted to avoid seeing him as much as possible. The last time I ever saw Fedora Man was a week or two right before summer ended. After weeks of trying desperately to avoid Fedora Man, things finally came to a boil. On this day, I worked the early shift and therefore began to do the usual stuff. Turn on machines, prepping items, etc. My manager was the only one with me and she had stepped out for a few moments for a cigarette break. Usually, we don't get customers that early in the morning. My guard was down, and since I was in the back of the store where no customers were allowed, I had some music playing. I was singing along to the music and prepping for the day when I saw a black mass start to the right of me. I turned off my music and asked if anyone was there. No answer. As I was already jittery from Fedora Man, I simply told myself that I was overreacting and turned on my music once more. After a few moments, I felt someone behind me. I turned. And who do you think it was? I let out a yelp in surprise which only made Fedora Man laugh heartily. Fedora Man stated that he was hungry and wanted some food. I immediately began to scold him and remind him that this area was for workers only. At this point, my manager returns from her cigarette break and sees that Fedora Man is in the back of the store. She shouts at him to leave and states, She doesn't even like you, in the biggest voice she could muster. Fedora Man smiled his toothy smile and simply walked to the front of the store. I refused to serve him and let my manager know that he needed to be banned from the store. I wish I could say that this story had a happy ending, but it doesn't. I ended up leaving that job a week later and haven't gone back since. I occasionally talk to my old coworkers, and they have let me know that Fedora Man still comes in every day, hitting on the underage girls there and asking when I'll be coming back. To work. About 11 months ago, I started working in a big corporate retail store that specializes in tech, mostly high-end goods, part-time. I'm a female, 6 foot tall, in my late 20s, and a former NCAA water polo player. My job at said store was more behind the scenes. My primary duties were to answer calls and assist with orders, complaints, and scheduling via the phones. My secondary duties would be to assist the front lanes when lines got long. I am friendly, outgoing, and love to chat with customers. Some regulars I joke around with about various topics, but nothing unprofessional, nothing suggestive, and I never expressed interest in any customer. All of this happens in a two-month period. One day, a customer, older gentleman, mid to late sixties, six foot five to six foot seven, who has become a few day regular, comes up to me while I'm at a register and is making a purchase while holding a coffee. Jokingly, I ask where my coffee was, and he proceeds to offer to get me a coffee. I decline his offer several times with, Oh, no, I was joking. Thank you, though, and go about my day. Over the next couple of days, I am noticing this guy more and more, and am doing quite a few checkouts for him. There is small talk, as most customer service agents have with regulars, but he starts to mention highly personal details about me that I have never brought up in conversation. I don't discuss my personal life with customers unless it is relevant to the conversation at hand. These comments include my route to work, what kind of car I drive, and the stickers that are on the back of my car, the college I went to, what apartment complex I live in, and what types of decorations I have outside my front door. The first couple of times these tidbits are brought up, I brush them off as slip-ups, or he must have overheard me saying something to someone, but then he starts asking for my phone number. I decline, giving him my number, stating it's against policy, so he starts insisting I take his number and call him. Again, it is stated that this is against policy. I will add, I specifically say, It is against corporate policy for me to take customers information and I don't hand out my information out to customers, I'm sorry. As the days progress, he starts catching me as I come out from behind the register to run over to another department in our store for something. Again, I am neither a short nor small woman and I do not physically intimidate easily, but this guy who towers over me repeatedly places himself in front of me and demands I give him my number. This happened three or four times. Each time and day, he's getting closer to my personal space, demanding my phone number and information so he can call me. When there are times he doesn't get me as his checkout associate, he gets angry and irate, physically attempting to insert himself into my space to demand my information. And there are several times coworkers have to remove me physically from the situations because he is causing such a scene and getting so close to me they are worried for my safety. At this point, I'm starting to get freaked out and I'm feeling unsafe in my work environment. So I bring it up to a couple of my supervisors who just laugh it off and say I'm being paranoid. My dad is getting calls from me almost daily telling him about my encounters and what this guy said or did. So finally, he says I need to go talk to the police and see what they suggest I do since my supervisors aren't doing anything about it. I go and talk to the PD, explain the situation and end up in tears and shaking because it is finally hitting me that this guy is stalking and harassing me and I feel helpless. They fill out a report and tell me to take it to my supervisors to see if they can get pictures and information on this guy so the police department can contact him and issue a trespass, banning him from the property. I bring the case number to my supervisors who start to do some digging. I will repeat, my primary job is behind the scenes in a cave and... I am rarely out at the registers during my shifts. They find that in a 30-day period I had processed over 17 transactions with this one customer and that he had been coming in 4-5 to times a week, sometimes twice a day to buy $10 gift cards from our store. After taking pictures of his license plate and info from work, the police were able to find out that this guy lived over an hour and a half away from the store and he was driving almost 3 hours every day just to make a purchase. Then the security footage is looked at, and my supervisors notice they have no clear image of this guy. he knew where our store's security cameras were located, and pointing and hid his face in actual height by hunching over from the cameras. They also noticed that there were points where he would be in the store for about thirty five to forty five minutes at a time, just looking at the front registers, waiting for me to appear so he could make his purchase with me if he didn't get me the first time. He would come back an hour or so later, right as I was about to get off of work because he knew the generics of my schedule. With no clear picture, the store had to wait on me to see this guy and point him out to the supervisor so they could issue the verbal trespass to him. He was able to come in and continue to harass me and threaten me for my information a few times because nobody really knew what he looked like, and by the time I had called for a supervisor, he had left or they didn't know enough about the situation to trespass him. It took another two weeks before I was able to get a supervisor to trespass him from the store. He had cornered me again and had harassed me for my number and to check him out at the register, but I was able to slip away. When the supervisor approached him saying he was trespassed for harassing employees, he flat out denied that it was him and said that they were mistaken. When the police department called him, telling him the boundaries of the trespass and asking for his side of the story... He told them I was just a girl that never told him no to a date and that it's my fault for not telling him no. He insisted that he shouldn't be banned from the store because if I really didn't want him to bother me, I should have told him so. I saw him around my complex for a couple of weeks and a few months later I quit retail because I didn't feel comfortable there. I loved working there but I'd rather just never meet this guy again. I'm a 24-year-old female that moved from Orlando, Florida to 18 miles outside of Valdosta, Georgia, middle of nowhere, to my family farm. Never had any issues in Orlando, but I got divorced and had to move in with my mom. It was my two small boys and I. We moved into one of the old farmhouses on my family's farm and it needed a lot of work. It was eight bedrooms and a mother-in-law suite. When we moved in, we only had two rooms cleaned up and worked on the rest of the house over the course of nine months. The man across the street, we will call Jay, was very helpful. From day one, he would come almost every day as he was feeding up his animals and helping with anything I needed. Over the course of nine months, I never had any issues and thought he was just a friendly middle-aged man. I never felt he had any ill intentions. The farmhouse was in a U-shape. The room I chose had windows in the courtyard area. This was the middle of the house. Jay had fenced in that area when I first moved in so I could let the boys play. The farmhouse was in the middle of the farm and set off the road, so I never had any worries of being watched, mostly as my bedroom windows are in a fenced area in the middle of the house. So I didn't put curtains on my bedroom or bathroom. One day, my son was playing under the carport, and Jay pulled up in his truck. He was going to look at my car for me. Jay didn't make it to the carport before my eldest son says to me, Hey, I seen him in my window last night. Later that night, I talked to my son and he told me he did see him out a window. I asked him if it was the kitchen window because you can see his horse pasture and he stops to feed them every morning and night. Chalking it up to that, I didn't think much else of it, but other things had happened. I guess you could say I wanted him to be the person I thought he was, so I overlooked a lot. My favorite candy somehow appeared in my fridge one day after school. My mom told me she remembered me telling Jay it was my favorite. Someone sent me flowers every Friday for a couple of months. I thought it was my ex-husband or possibly my boyfriend at the time. Neither man would admit to it. My boyfriend jokingly told me it was Jay. The next day, I came home from school and my mom had the boys playing under the carport and Jay was working on my car. My air suspension had a leak and Jay offered to look at it before I took it all the way to Tallahassee for the expensive repair. I got out of my mom's car and he asked if I wanted to see the leak he had found. As I bent over the hood, Jay stepped back. When I turned around, I commented jokingly on his 90s era cell phone. He had it in his hand. It's the type you don't see anymore, like a very early camera flip phone. Later that night, we came inside and my mom told me she could swear that Jay had taken a picture of me on his phone. I know it sounds crazy, but I didn't believe her. This man was seriously always friendly, never any weird vibes from him. If I offered to pay him, it was always at cost and that was rare as he would not accept my money. I should have known that people just aren't like that these days. I guess I was very naive. A couple of weeks later, I was mowing my courtyard. It was grown up pretty bad, and as I got close to my window, my heart literally sank into my butt. I had a newly placed center block outside both windows in my bathroom window. I can't tell you how, but I knew at that point that I had made a huge mistake and everyone was right about Jay. I called my friend and neighbor Josh to come look at the center blocks. He ran home and got a deer cam, attaching it to a tree outside my window. This was at 3pm in the afternoon. That night I came home around 6 and was unloading the boys when I turned around. Jay was standing behind me. He said, Hey, didn't mean to scare you, I heard your mama was out of town. I said, yes sir. I knew he knew because they are friends on Facebook. He told me to call him if I got scared or needed anything. I got the boys inside and we got snuggled into bed. They fell asleep in my bed when I realized that I had missed Sunday's episode of Game of Thrones. It was a good one. So I went to my mom's bed to watch. I was lying there talking to my ex-husband about the boys and the show when Josh called. I clicked over and he asked if my boyfriend was over. I told him no. This is about at 9.02pm. He told me a man is outside my window. The deer cam snapped the first picture at 9.02. My boys are in my room sleeping. Josh told me not to worry. He was already coming up the driveway and to meet him outside, on the other side of the house. Fear and dread literally drained through me. I slowly walked into my room and calmly scooped up my boys. I shut that door and sprinted through the house as fast as I could. We sat in Josh's truck until the police arrived. The deer, Cam, snapped photos at 9.02, 9.22, and 9.30. He stood outside my window that long waiting for me to come back. The police walked back into the field and could see where he was parking but he was already gone. Behind the house is a massive produce field and it was a tractor road for tractor access. I showed them the photos and ID Ed, Jay. He was arrested at 2am that morning. And when they went through his phone, nine months of pictures, pictures of me mowing, pictures of me playing with my kids, pictures of me in my bathroom, sleeping, bending over the hood of my car. He was watching me the entire time. I couldn't and didn't sleep for weeks. He ended up getting out of jail the following weekend and came into my mom's post office. She's a mail lady to tell her that he found my dead dog and he buried it for me and even after that, only received five years probation and a restraining order. He still lives across the street. I stayed for maybe three months and moved on to Fort Walton Beach. A lot of people who know me will recognize this story. I often find myself telling it because of the absolute chaos of it all. I'm a female living in New England. To add another detail, this took place in a decent neighborhood. We weren't white trash or anything, but here goes. Several years ago, the day before my 10th birthday, I was arriving home with my mother and little brother from a soccer game my brother had. We were arriving at our house when my brother noticed a yard sale next door. This house was run down. Apparently, some police activity went on before I was born, but that was over now, right? So a man walks up to us as we come over and he introduces himself. We'll call him Ray. Now Ray was renting from the woman next door. Basically this woman had a house with four rooms. One for her, one for her disabled son, and two for whoever paid money to live there for an amount of months. Ray seemed nice. He played a bit of soccer on the sidewalk with my brother and spoke nicely with my mother. He looked a bit trashy but I didn't care. I just wanted to go inside my house and play Minecraft. So I left, not thinking much about the ordeal. That was October. In late January, a few months later, I was barely awake when my dad picked me up out of my bed and carried me to the master bedroom where my mom and brother were. The master bedroom is the farthest room away from the place where Ray was. I didn't like being disturbed, so I ran back to my bedroom. My dad yelled, saying there were police next door and I should go back in the other room. I did as I was told. I was so scared. Apparently, Ray's ex had gone over to the house to pick up some of her things. She brought her new boyfriend along. Ray started stabbing the boyfriend, and police were called, guns and all. I thought it was a one-time occurrence. I thought I'd be safe after that. March. My mom picked me up from school as usual. My brother was staying after school for guitar lessons. She'd get him later. I threw my backpack in the trunk and asked why there were so many suitcases in the back. She cheerfully explained that we were staying at a hotel. We drove around town and finally she said my dad will take me back home, that we wouldn't be staying at a hotel. I came home with my dad. I noticed that there was police tape around our lawn. My dad said that they had found drugs in Ray's house. That comment really didn't settle in till later. The full story was, Ray was doing PCP on his front steps. Someone noticed and called the police. Police came... Half chased Ray into the next town over, half investigated the house. An officer picked up a package with drugs and immediately begins to have a bad reaction. Hazmat was called and they find a drug lab. Thinking it's a meth lab, the police advise my mom to evacuate, which she does. Turns out it wasn't a meth lab, so we could come back, but it was manufacturing PCP. My mom arrives home with my brother a few hours after I did and that's when reality sets in. I had an anxiety attack, couldn't eat, and sat behind our couch using it as a makeshift bunker. I didn't sleep that night. A bit later, Ray, newly released from jail, does more illegal things, but the evidence room was tampered with so he couldn't be convicted. Meanwhile, my family has bought a new house, a large dog, security cameras, and plenty of weapons. My brother and I already attended therapy, but now our sessions happen more frequently. We were moving in two months. Meanwhile, Ray would watch us from his back porch, just sitting there. My dad confronted him once and Ray started shouting death threats. The day we moved, Ray let his pit bull loose. It was in the evening and he didn't know we had already left. He just knew it'd be around the time we would generally walk our dog. Finally, one month later, the big one hit. Ray strolled into a local food store high on PCP. He picked up a small child and tried to run. When the parents noticed, Ray dropped the child and tried to hide, but the police found him. He was fully released from jail a month later because the cells were too full, no transfers, nothing. It was like he was acquitted, although I'm not sure what the outcome of the whole ordeal was. If he was capable of kidnapping, what would have been done to me? What about my brother? Ray, I hope you overdose on your stupid PCP. I gave you a chance, and you gave me and my brother childhood trauma. So this happened about three years ago. I was 22 at the time and recently dumped, so my best friend and I went to our favorite bar almost every night. It was an Irish pub in downtown. It was really homey and chill, and we made good friends with the bartenders. I want to mention that I'm a female and my best friend is a bisexual male. There is absolutely no romantic interest between us. My friend and I were two or three drinks in, so we were feeling pretty good. And then this guy who looks to be in his 30s or 40s walks in, and he has a very strong Irish accent. My friend and I are talking and I mentioned something about the new shirt I was wearing. I then hear coming from the other end of the bar. Yes, that is an absolutely stunning blouse on you. He looks to the bartender and says, Isn't she absolutely gorgeous with that blouse? Tell her! Tell her she's stunning! The bartender gives me a weird look and ignores him. He deals with creepy guys on the regular. About ten minutes pass and the creepy Irish guy comes over and sits down next to me. Usually I avoid talking to creepers at all costs and leave, but we were the only ones in the bar. My friend and I were just having so much fun laughing and giggling, and I knew nothing bad was going to happen inside the bar, so my friend and I made conversation with this guy. We were all laughing and I forgot what we were talking about, but he then goes, yeah, I'm actually in the process of buying this bar. We thought it was so weird because we knew the bartenders and this was a family-run bar. I didn't think the owners were even thinking about selling it to some rando. I didn't question it though and we kept talking about his ideas for the bar and how he was going to expand it. He then gets up and says, Oh, wait for me for about 20 minutes. I'm gonna go get my cousin from the hotel across the street. After he left, we forgot he was even coming back and we were just drinking and laughing like normal. When the guy does come back, he comes back with a super attractive woman. My friend had not been late in quite some time, so once he saw her, he was fixated on her. Even though she was older in her 40s, he was really into the older girls. I told him he could get it, then he would be a god. So anyways, I went outside for a cig and the Irish guy follows me out, leaving my friend with the super hot lady. I was incredibly drunk at this point, not to the point where I couldn't walk, but all my safety precautions were out the door. The guy sits next to me and he asks if he could give me a palm reading. He grabs my hand and starts kissing it. Okay, weird. He says he comes from a long line of gypsies. So, he's closing his eyes, rubbing my hand and kissing it, and starts telling me some nonsensical fortune. It was vague, and it had absolutely nothing to do with me. Anyway, we kept talking and he said that his cousins are looking for a fun night and thinks that we could show them around town, etc. I told him that my friend and I were pretty out of it and we were thinking about going home soon. He then says, oh, it looks like your friend isn't going anywhere. I look in the window and I saw his hot cousin rubbing her foot all up and down my friend's leg. My friend, who isn't entirely ugly but doesn't usually ever get a chance with a woman like her. I could tell he was red in the face and was acting bashful. I started to think, wow, he is going to get it after all. But then I got a feeling that didn't sit well with me, even in my drunk state. I went back inside and sat next to my friend and asked how everything was. This is where my memory starts to get fuzzy. So there are circumstances that I don't remember leading up to how it got a little crazy. All I remember is this guy starting to speak louder and more aggressively towards everyone once I mentioned that maybe we should go home. The guy started giving my friend and I more shots and he was demanding the bartender give it to him for free because he was going to be the new owner of the bar. Bartender says he didn't hear about this so no free drinks for him. This made the guy so angry he started throwing stuff over the counter. I then screamed that I didn't need a drink anymore. I was already too out of it. Guy gets in my face telling me I'm going to drink what he gives me. Literally shoved it in my face and I actually did drink it. Guy demands more drinks, bartender says no, and the guy says, Fine, here's $20, and throw a $20 bill at him. Then all of a sudden, something clicks in my friend's drunk, horny brain, and he just realizes that we could be in danger. While the hot chick, the Irish guy, and the bartender are all distracted and screaming, my friend grabs my arm, and we bolt out of the bar. We ran all the way to my apartment, locked the door. We were like, wait... What literally just happened? We were scared to go back to the bar in case he actually did own it. Two weeks later, we decided to check it out. We see the owner and ask him if he's selling the bar to the crazy Irish guy. He then goes, Wait, you were here for that? Yeah, that guy was a con artist. He stayed at the hotel across the street and was demanding a free room because he found drugs in the room and his kids could have gotten the drugs. This guy didn't even have kids with him. We never heard of the strange man and his cousin ever again. I have a few theories as to why they were trying to manipulate my friend and I into coming with them. My first guess was robbery, but I have thought of everything to murder. Also, I looked up Irish gypsies and there is a whole thing about them traveling and stealing stuff. If anyone has a story like this or knows about what kind of stuff goes on with this group of people, let me know, because this event has bothered me for quite some time. As someone who has grown up on an infamous haunted plantation, I've never actually been scared of ghosts. Curious and intrigued, yes, but never scared. In fact, I have gone through a lot of trouble just to go to a haunted house or location. I live in Virginia, so there are a lot of places to check out. There has only been one incident that has scared me so bad I'll never ghost hunt again, and it wasn't even anything paranormal. When this particular incident happened, I was about 19 years old. My boyfriend at the time and I were very explorative, and we made it into a thing to go out at around midnight and go ghost hunting at random places. He lived in Williamsburg, Virginia, so there were lots of places to go. We would go around the Newport area as well, Some famous places that we visited often were Old House Woods, Crawford Road, Roswell House, etc. One night, we decided we were bored and wanted to get our group of friends together to do some ghost hunting. We got three of our friends on board and got ready to head out for the night. Usually, we would smoke on the ride, and when we were nice and toasted, we would go to our destination. On this night, we decided to check out Roswell, and then on our way back home, we were going to take a detour through Crawford Road. The night started out really fun. We basically couldn't stop laughing the entire night. One of my friends, on the other hand, couldn't shake this bad feeling he was having. He insisted that we go home or go get some food at a fast food place. He was also insisting that we skip Crawford Road because he was too out of the way from their apartment complex. Me and my boyfriend were very insistent that we checked out Crawford Road. And since my boyfriend was driving, my friend didn't get a say in the matter. We jumped back in the car, got some McDonald's, and headed to Crawford. Crawford Bridge is just this little bridge on a very desolated, creepy road. If I remember correctly, the road was about 10 miles long. The bridge was where they would go to hang slaves, so that area had a common report of ghost sightings. When we got on Crawford Road, we decided that when we got to the bridge, we would get out to get a better look and take pictures. Need I remind you that this is at about 1.30 a.m., My boyfriend and I were not scared, but I guess the idea of that scared the crap out of my friend who was already freaking out previously. At the time, I thought my friend being scared all of a sudden was extremely strange, because he usually loved doing this stuff. He kept on just saying he had a bad feeling. He had a bad feeling, and he always trusts his gut. We should have listened, but we were stubborn, and we were almost to the bridge. Right as we came around the corner to see the bridge, we saw a car just parked on the side of the road. As we got a little closer to the car, the car came on and so did the lights. We assumed that it was some teenagers checking out the landmark like we were, but as we were passing them, I saw the outline of two older men, and I did see that they were both bald. It sent chills down my spine, so I told my boyfriend to keep driving, and he agreed that we shouldn't stop or get out. We passed slowly, but when we were about to turn the corner for the bridge to be out of view... I saw that car slowly turn around, turn on his high beams, and start following us. At first, we were a little freaked out, but, you know, coincidences happen. About two miles down the road, this car was right on our tail. We decided to go faster than normal to lose him. The speed limit on this road was between 30 to 40 miles per hour. We were going 65 to try to shake this car. The whole time, the car was so close to ours, it was almost touching. At this point, We are all officially freaked out. My friend, who was originally freaked out, was now in tears. We officially were being chased down by these guys. I felt a lot of relief when I saw that there was a turn onto a highway up ahead. There were almost no cars on the road, so we didn't even stop at the stop sign. We ran right through and so did the car behind us. We saw a 7-Eleven up ahead, and we thought that if we turned into it, they would just keep going and leave us alone. But no. They followed us right into the 7-Eleven parking lot. We would be the only ones in the parking lot together, and at that time, I don't think any of us wanted to come face to face with the mysterious bald men. My boyfriend unexpectedly punched it out of the parking lot, followed by the mysterious car. At this point, we honestly thought we were all going to die. We had no idea what the intentions were of these people, but we knew that it obviously wasn't good, and we had been specifically targeted. Once we got on the road, we were flying. I mean, we hit a hundred miles per hour easy. We were all screaming and I managed to call the police, but I was in hysterics going a hundred miles per hour in an area that I wasn't as familiar with, with a car chasing us. At some point, the car got from behind us and got into the other lane. This was a two-lane highway and there was no passing allowed on this road. I looked over, thought I saw a flash of something metallic come up to their window possibly a gun, and then all of a sudden my boyfriend slams on his brakes. The other car keeps going 100 miles per hour as we quickly try to turn around. When I look back, I see them stopping and also trying to turn around. By the time they turn around, we were already flying in the other direction. Somehow, I'm not sure how, but we lost them. We tried to find the most populated area we could. Once we found a random apartment complex, we stopped the car and we all started crying. My friend who told us we shouldn't go was yelling at us. He was going on about how we needed to be more careful and start trusting our instincts. Let me tell you, I have never not trusted his gut feeling again. Things could have gone a lot worse that night and I'm very thankful it didn't. Later that month I had learned that the area was known for gang activity. Unfortunately I learned the hard way that anything could happen at any time. It was very stupid and stubborn back then. All those times we went ghost hunting, not once did I think that there could be a murderer there waiting for a group of kids, stupid enough like us, to come by. I was, and still am, an extremely shy person. I'm the person with the headphones in, hoodie up, ignoring most people. The girl with the stutter and shy mumbling apologies. I don't speak out or draw attention to myself, but that tends to attract the strangest people and the scariest guys. I had a huge crush on one of the really hot cool guys in school. Sweet talker and a nerd. I hung out a lot with him and he introduced me to his group of friends. That's when I met him. Tall perv. He was the strangest guy in the group. I mean, they were all pretty weird, but he stood out. He was very tall, had a flash drive around his neck 24-7, and he was very touchy-feely with his hands, Nickname: Tall Perv. I'd just met Tall Perv, and he was already acting strange around me. The bell rang for us to go ahead back to class after lunch, but Tall Perv had other ideas. He decided to pick me up by my breast and had me standing up. I don't speak a lot, but I shrieked. He dropped me and said that it's okay because I'm cute. Don't worry. I I didn't mean anything, but it could if you wanted it to. I ran back inside, terrified and confused. My crush pushed him away and was yelling at him. Neither one of them came after me. I still hung out with the crush again, but he was still hanging out with Tall Perv and his short friend on another day, so I went up and tried to talk with my crush. I was overhearing Tall Perv talk about terrible things in public. He bragged about his flash drive and how it was full of inappropriate images and videos. He also wore a flash drive. Crush looked annoyed, but jumped at the chance of being with me. Many months later, I was heading to a class that was in a different building when suddenly I felt a hand on my bottom. It was Tall Perv, laughing like it was a game. I had a textbook in my hand and started hitting him with it as hard as I could, yelling and screaming at him. His face fell and he took off. I thought I finally got rid of him. I did, and then he graduated. He never touched me again, but it doesn't end, sadly. He found me on Facebook years later. At this time, I forgot his name and face. He didn't have a pic of him in his profile, so I added him like, uh, oh, someone from high school, cool.'' After I broke up with my boyfriend, not crush but someone else, guess who popped up on my phone? Tall perv, same day, he began texting me every day, saying how he missed me and wanted to hang out. I got onto Facebook and saw that 90% of my terrible memes he had liked and commented. I posted a ton of memes daily and he liked almost all of them. All my notifications were from him, messages and likes. I looked at the profile and I recognized him. It was Tall Perf. He was begging to hang out. And One day, out of the blue, he started sending me nude pics. I was shocked and kind of scared, so I decided to block him on Facebook. The end? Nope. I get a text message from my cell phone. Very, very few people from high school had my cell phone number. Hey, it's me, Tall Perf. You want to hang out? Come on, I miss you. We can come bake and cook at my house. I know you like sweets. We can make a cake. I know you live in this certain part of town, and it's not that far. He was correct, but how did he know where I lived? Please, let's hang out. I can buy you lunch. I ignored his messages until he started calling me. He was crying and saying how lonely he was. He wanted me to go to his house and comfort him. He spammed his address at me. I finally blocked him on my phone. One year later, I get another message from him on a different number. Block that one, too. He was a perv and definitely still is. But he went to a whole other level with the stalking and begging. Remember, this went on for years. A close friend of mine recently warned everyone on his Facebook page about Tall Perv because he picked up a scared female friend from Tall Perv's house. He would apparently lured a girl to his house and attempted to assault her. She fled before he could grab her. She has not filed any charges that I know of. If I ever see that guy again, it better be a mugshot. Hey friends, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and click that notification bell to be alerted of all future narrations. If you got a story, be sure to submit them to my subreddit, our Let's Read official, and give and receive feedback from the community, and maybe even hear your story featured on the next video. And join my Discord to interact with me and other listeners directly. And if you want to support me even more, grab early access to all future narrations for just $1 a month on Patreon, and maybe even pick up some Let's Read merch on Spreadshirt. Links in the bio. Thanks so much, friends. And I guess this is posted on Christmas Eve, so... Merry Christmas, and I'll see you again soon.